Everybody, welcome, welcome. Yes, it is Friday, February 3rd, 2023. Welcome to Raging Chickens Friday Politics Roundup. Welcoming back to the show, Amy Connect, everybody. Yes, we are here to break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics and the long promised, the long discussed. We're going to be getting into, you know, rings of power. House of the Dragon. Yeah, the streaming shows that we know and love. Yes, indeed. Yes, all that today on today's Friday Politics Roundup. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. You can also help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that, excuse me, smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And look, it's school board election season, everybody. Do not let Paul Martino and his oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to launch a truly community-rooted pact to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation to ragingchicken.levelfield.net. That's ragingchicken.levelfield.net. On this week's show, we'll go a little light on the overall news so we can get into the fun stuff. Uh, but, you know, Republicans moved to uh, remove Ilhan Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Ilhan Omar, AOC, and Rashida Tlaib brought the fire to the House floor during the debate before the vote. And we should remember, just so that we don't repeat mistakes of the past, that the Democratic Party leadership helped lay the groundwork for the attacks on Ilhan Omar. If you all recall, basically, in the first days after she was sworn into office, right, Nancy Pelosi, the Democratic Party leadership, decided that instead of pushing their number one priority bill and messaging on that, they thought it would be a better idea to censure and attack Ilhan Omar for perceived anti-Israeli comments, right? Here you go. Repeated once again in these debates on the floor. This time, however, Democrats stood, stood together and it was on party line vote, but damage had been done. And if you, you, if you question me about that, go read anything, any of the reporting about, about what had happened. All of them mentioned Nancy Pelosi's uh, kind of uh, attacks on Ilhan Omar in her first week, so... Go check it out. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis made moves to turn back the clock on higher education. On Tuesday, he announced a, quote, proposed overhaul of the state's higher education system that would eliminate what he calls ideological conformity. Yes, his plan would mandate courses in Western civilization, eliminate diversity and equity programs, and gut the protections of tenure for faculty. What could go wrong with that? And keeping in step 
To mark the beginning of Black History Month, the College Board caved to right-wing attacks against their AP curriculum for African-American studies, striking many notable black writers from their curriculum. Yes, suck right up to that DeSantis machine, folks. Crazy, crazy. But yeah, but we're going to spend a chunk of time uh, getting some updates what's happening over in the Palisades School District, right? Yes, the school board, once again, uh, making moves. Uh, we're going to see some of the bleeding of the insanity and craziness starting to leak into uh, the Palisades School District, as we're seeing happening over there in Southerton, too, as well. Uh, Amy Connect is here, of course, to bring us all the details. And then what you've all been waiting for, I'm sure, <laughs> we're going to talk about... House of the Dragon and the Rings of Power. Of course, those two uh, blockbuster streaming series. Uh, House of the Dragon, of course, is the prequel to uh, the Game of Thrones, and the Rings of Power is the prequel to Lord of the Rings. Uh, House of the Dragon streaming on HBO and Rings of Power streaming on Amazon. And uh, maybe we'll even speculate about when that actually we're, when the hell we're going to get to see uh, the Wheel of Time uh, season two come out. Um, so we waiting on that one too as well. For more PA Progressive Talk, tune in to the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern, his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Head on over to ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, the amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast. Rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And the big news of the week, the Bucks County Beacon released its first episode of The Signal. It's brand new podcast produced by yours truly. <laughs> yes, that's right. The new uh, first launch, uh, the launch of episode one of, of The Signal brought to you. The, uh, it's a basic interview program. You've got the editor-in-chief of the Bucks County Beacon, Cyril Michaleko. Uh, I was going to bring on folks to have interviews uh, a couple times a month. Uh, first interview is with Sue Ann DeVito talking about kind of... Uh, you know, basically protection of immigrant rights um, and some of the work that she's been doing and these kind of radical listening as part of uh, going to the border to find out what's actually happening on. So check out The Signal. Head on over to the Bucks County Beacon um, to uh, get info on that. Um, there, it's streaming live on Podbean. Um, it will soon be wherever your podcast gets caught, right? So it'll be on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and so on. Um, this always happens. You launch a new podcast. You got to have the episodes up for a bit before they get kind of, you know, networked out. Um, but that will happen very soon. More details on that to come. Very excited to be part of this project. And for all your gamers out there, the Gaming, that's with two N's. Gaming is a Quaker Town-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops, and kids get a discount when they get A's in the report card. Can't beat that. Check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at, at TheGaming with two N's. Got a question about a game, looking for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegamingpa at gmail.com. And a shout-out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Day Man with two N's, at Song of Day Man on Twitter. 
And coming up on Out to Coop Live, we've got some good ones here on Monday. This coming Monday, we've got Hannah Leffingwell uh, will be joining the show. Hannah's got a recent piece in the Chronicle of Higher Education called The Academic Career is Broken and the Need for Fundamental Change in Higher Ed. Uh, she also had a great piece in The Jacobin about a, a kind of a, almost a year before this one. Um, basically said, I love higher education, but it isn't loving me back. Um, very much along the same kind of issues here. Um, please join us for that conversation. Monday, that is the 6th, this coming Monday at 7 p.m. And then the following Monday, uh, February 13th, Alyssa Bowen's coming back to the show. And she'll be talking about her recent piece in Truth Out called The Right Has Expanded Its Dark Money Strategy for Dominating School Boards and the Deep Pockets Behind It All. Uh, Alyssa will be joining us again. That'll be February 13th at 7 p.m. right here on Out to Coop Live. Look, everybody, we want progressive future. We need progressive media. Support Pull No Punches, homegrown progressive media today. Become a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. We're here for the fight, but we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media and the movement and the movement the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month by going to patreon.com slash rcpress today. So, Amy, welcome back to the show. Hello, it's good to be back. Yeah, Happy New Year. It's the first time that you've been on in the new year. It kind of feels yeah. like the launch of like a new era now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. I think every January for the past couple of years has felt like that. So <laughs> That's a good point. That's good. I, I think, I don't know about you, but 2022, 2022, I was very happy that it was in the rearview mirror when it was done. It was just, a, I found it to be an incredibly hard year at just like yeah. a personal level, political level, like things going on in the world level, it oh, was just yeah. tough. Yeah, it was, I'm definitely glad to, to be starting out fresh with the new year. So a lot of good things in the works. So that's always awesome. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, well, like like I was saying at the top of the show, we'll kind of talk a little bit about something that happened in the politics today, but I'm really interested in kind of digging into what's happening over in Palisades and then get into yeah. our, uh, our discussion of the fun stuff, right? The good parts oh, yeah. of 2022, I guess we could call that. <laughs> Um, but the big news this week coming right out, I thought, was, you know, uh, that we saw what this new uh, House of Representatives leadership is going to look like, that coming right out of the gate, um, basically going after women of color, going after kind of uh, retribution um, and, you know, playing yeah. the kind of like, well, you did it. So we, we're going to do it kind of game. Um, <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> pretending as if they're the same thing. Right. Yeah. Pretending that it's the same thing when Ilhan Omar is critical of Israel, right, for its basic, I don't know, occupation and suppression of the Palestinian people for generations. Yeah. I don't know. And it's, you know, systematic bombing and kind of removal of rights. You know, it's basically apartheid regime that it's got um, with the Palestinians. That that is the same thing as, like, Marjorie Taylor Green kind of, like, assisting in their insurrection on January 5th. That these some, you know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Right. It's the same. It's the same thing. Right. So that, you know, that's all they're doing, which is just crazy. But I don't know. Did you happen to catch any of uh, AOC's and Rashida Tlaib's and, and Ilhan Omar's speeches there? I unfortunately did not. Um, the past, you know, a couple of weeks have been really busy, um, especially with, you know, in the world of politics, there's been a lot of, of you know, changing of hands of things going on. Yeah. Um, I have not managed to catch any of the hearings or anything that's been happening um save for what i see on twitter <laughs> uh when i check my feed you know um but like other than that it's 
I haven't seen that. I did not know that they were being removed uh, from their committees. I do know that the House Republicans are like really pushing through a circus style yeah. of court at the moment because what they're focusing on is just completely ridiculous. It's not what we should be focusing on as a country at the moment. So yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that I, I happen to, you know, I didn't watch the the live discussion of it, right? I saw the clips come out afterwards and some of the reporting on it. But yeah. it's, uh, it's worth for everybody. If, if anybody has not seen that stuff yet, do do take some time, to check it out. Because I think that what we see coming from the squad right now, um, they're like laying down the gauntlet, right? They're basically saying this is, you know, calling it out. This is a direct attack against women of color. This is a, you know, yeah. I'm kind of laying out exactly what they're doing, exposing those moves. And uh, AOC is the first time I've ever seen her that angry in a speech on the floor by concluding with basically said, you know, when my life was threatened and someone threatened to kill me, I didn't get even so much as an apology. And she had her notebook. She slammed it down. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, if anything, that's an, that's an awesome move. I was also very happy to see that um, – there was a good piece in the um, the Philadelphia Inquirer. I think it just came out either this morning or yesterday okay. on Summer Lee, um, as because of course Summer Lee's kind of uh, mm -hmm. you know she got delayed in being able to take her office because of all the games happening here uh, or happening in D.C. But um, it was it was pretty amazing seeing uh, this article on her and her perspective on it is like, look, I'm here to do some really hard things and. It's going, you know, and I carry that, you know, particular weight. And so she didn't, you know, she said she, I didn't feel like celebrating because I'm here to do some hard stuff, yeah. which is, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know what else you could want. I mean, Summer Lee, I think is going, I, I just hope, I can't imagine she's not, but I just hope that she gets connected to the folks in the squad pretty quickly um, so that she's not there alone because she's pretty much done it you know, not entirely alone here um, in Pennsylvania. I mean, you had Elizabeth Fiedler, you had Sarah in Amarato, um, you had some, you know, good folks around her, but uh, in DC, it could be a different animal. It's good to have some other kind of really powerful women of color there for her to be joining. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I could see her, you know, um, I, I don't know, just, you know, being involved with them too. So I think it's important. I definitely think it's important. I think it's important that they stated exactly, you know, out front, like what it was too, right? Because this whole like circumventing and, you know, kind of like beating around the bush when talking about these matters, you know, in, in Congress is just ridiculous, you know, because you get the other side and they're like, oh my God, they like pretend to be shocked. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. It's ridiculous, you know, so, and they, they, everybody knows that they have targeted the squad for day one, since day one. Yep. Yep. 100%. 100%. So we'll be uh, keeping an eye on that. That's for sure what the consequences are going to be. Um, I've, I've actually been, I've been kind of checked out a bit from the, you know, the internal DC machinations, because I really, I, you know, I hate to put it like this, but the, 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 the news coverage of like speculation about the moves of what's happening behind the scenes of all this stuff, I could really care less right now about this. Because it's like, we know what's happening, right? To pretend yeah. that there's any kind of like goodwill or actually stuff happening behind the scenes is just ridiculous. So, so whatever. I mean, once they get settled out and we start getting some real things uh, kind of going on, um, I think we're, it's going to be some fireworks. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And like I said, I, the only you know thing that I've been seeing lately is is you know from people like you know Marjorie Taylor Greene. And Lauren Boebert and all the ridiculousness that they're, you know, trying to push through. I mean, and to me, it's a waste of time because yep. it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate. It's going to die 
it's just they're making these like grand gestures at the moment of like, oh, look what we're getting done, you know, but nothing's getting done. Right. It's all performative stuff for yep. the next presidential election. I think that's all that's all they care about. So. Exactly. So the bigger news, the big stuff that I've been following a little bit more closely has to do with uh, what uh, Ron DeSantis has been doing down in oh. Florida. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's been and, you know. This is I talked about this on the show on on Out to Coop Live on Monday, um, kind yeah. of a bit about what some of the moves are down there. But to see now that you have, you know, him giving this big speech, I, I didn't realize he was giving this big speech on Tuesday. Um, that was right after Out to Coop Live when I was talking about this stuff. But he basically comes out and just, you know, again, throws down the gauntlet, basically says, We're coming after higher education. We're gonna turn back the clock and everything is going to be like Hillsdale college, right? Where it's going to be Western civilization, great books. Let's, let's learn about the white folks. Let's learn about those great institution. America's great. Yeah. We're going to get rid of all diversity and equity programs. Right. And we're going to kind of basically, basically eliminate tenure for faculty, right. In any kind of practical way. Um, and all you've done, you basically, there you go. There's your three yeah. pillars. There's going after um, in higher education. And again, there's direct consequences in Florida right now because they're actually like legitimately doing this stuff, right? They're limited, you know, eliminating kind of uh, DEI initiatives that are happening mm -hmm. at the K through 12 level. Um, now they're going after what's happening in higher education. And that is going to have the direct impacts on all those kids and all the teachers and all the communities um, throughout Florida. Um, and on top of that, he's basically laying out, here's the platform he's going to be running on in 2024 when it comes to the yeah. presidential stuff. Um, I, I thought that was just, um, that's been, in, for, from my perspective, has been horrifying. It has been. It's been ridiculous. It's been absolutely, I mean, when I, when they made the announcement that he was like banning an AP history class on African American studies, because it was like, oh, what did he call it? Like a waste of time? I was just like, what? That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yep. Um, and, and then I just don't see, I don't know where he gets that authority that he feels that he has is to like mandate what everybody can learn about like i i'm so irritated with somebody like ron DeSantis, and clearly all of this he's making political moves because if he doesn't throw his hat in for the next presidential election i would be greatly shocked you know what i mean um i i just it's 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 terrible did you did you see the article though he's being sued Yep, he's being sued by three, uh, what was it, high school kids, by three high school yep. students about over the AP courses, stating that he's basically like infringing their, you know, their rights. So it's it's not, oh man, and I see this happening. So there's a lot of parallels between Florida and Pennsylvania, um, unfortunately, like, and you always see stuff like that. So if, I, if you can only imagine, like, if Doug Mastriano had won the governorship, oh, we would totally. be looking at a lot of the same practices, you know what I mean, being mirrored here. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting, this, this, the connection between, there is a, a direct historical connection between the, the educational kind of infrastructure in Pennsylvania and that in Florida. I mean, it's been, it's really remarkable. I mean, I didn't realize like, for, like how close, for example, uh, like Tom Ridge had been to some of the folks on the education. Um, so it goes back like that that far, like when yeah, Tom Ridge was Yeah, it does. Governor. It's not just of recent. No, yeah. right. And uh, I remember first noticing this when, you know, we had this series of chancellors that came in for the Pennsylvania State Higher Education. They were all from Florida, right? Um, <laughs> and it was just like one after the other, right? So it was like, there was like this internal Pennsylvania thing for a long time where a lot of the chancellors had kind of gone up through the ranks, right? Mm -hmm. Um and there had been, you know, more or less a kind of, yes, and a little bit of adversarial tension stuff, but everyone was kind of on board with 
you know, providing kind of affordable, high quality education to working class Pennsylvanians, you know, yeah. uh, disagreed over things. So there'd be arguments and blah, back and forth, but then they would kind of, you know, come to agreements that had been the, the, the MO. When I came in shortly after I came in, they hired Judy Hample, um, who just came in with, you know, with the, the new model. Right. We're anti-union. We are kind of we are we're taking control of this. We, we you know, faculty are mean nothing, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so she came in. She was horrible. And then the next guy um, um, who came, was a Kavanaugh who came next was also from Florida. Right. Um, and then you had uh, Frank Brogan, right, who also came from. Florida. So you had this, this train and they got progressively worse. And, you know, I remember talking to. Um, I, I had called down to some of the, uh, uh, the some folks that you know are in the leadership of the faculty union down there when Frank Brogan was was becoming chancellor, the, the guy before the one who's there now, just to kind of get a lay of the land, right? To let what do you? I said, I, you know, I know what I read, but can you give me a sense of the experience? And it was horrifying, right? And it just do it ahead of time, yeah. and but he also kind of laid out some of that structure, how that educational structure worked down there, and it really is seen as you know the wedge issue to launch political careers. And they see it as an exportable model. And that, that's essentially what they've done in Pennsylvania. And I think what, you know, what the move by the college board to basically say, oh, you know, we are going to, it's been really interesting to read that too, because we're going to, okay, we're going to revise our AP exam. We're going to advise our, uh, revise our AP curriculum. We're going to get rid of some of these authors, these controversial authors. And they claim that, you know, it, it had nothing to do with the Florida, with uh, the Florida decision that they were already in the works ahead of time. But what they don't say is that this is responding to this pressure, right? Yeah. So even if it wasn't specifically because of the move that Florida made that this week, <laughs> it has everything to do with this kind of like anti-wokeness, right? That's yeah. coming out of the right wing that's dominating Republican politics. Yeah. And so there we see, we see now we see national, it has a national impact, right? Upon kids everywhere, right? Regardless of what kind of like, you know, like who's governing their state. Yeah. And we see, yeah. and I do, I do think they're going to see this as this is what we're going to see in the election coming up in 2024. I, oh, definitely. This is going to be a part of so many party platforms. So I think there's going to be a whole bunch of contenders for, uh, you know, for the presidency. Well, Nikki you know, Haley I mean, just announced that she's going to be yeah. running. Yeah. Well, she didn't really <laughs> announce, but the, that, that, that's what they're, that people are saying. It looks like Nikki Haley's jumping in. Yeah. They said, I've, I heard reports. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah yesterday that she was thinking about throwing her her hat into that after she had you know explicitly stated she was not but i think a lot of people are still i think there's a good faction of, of republicans who are still trying to distance themselves from trump a little bit and some of you know the bona fide MAGA republicans you know and then you also have this group and there's just so much infighting between them though i mean because why you know there's going to be a competition and a rivalry between trump and and desantis right, right? so that's going to be splitting some of these these Republicans, um, but their behavior is becoming increasingly <laughs> increasingly concerning. I mean, if you see, they're all wearing you know a lot of them are wearing these AK forty seven pins now yep. on their lapels when they're in. You know, before it was always oh you have your United States flag and stuff like that or your tie clip, whatever. Everybody would have that, um, and now they I do believe they have that, and then on the other side. An AK forty seven. I mean, that just goes to show you where their their values are are essentially rooted in, right? Yep. Violence. Yep. Yep. Nothing 100%. good is going to come of this. And I think you're right. I think Florida is definitely going to be setting the mold um, in education wise for a lot of number of states, and Pennsylvania definitely included. 
Yeah, and just you, know, you made a good point there too about you know there's a lot of Republicans are trying to distance themselves for Trump. What concerns me is like so you've got DeSantis laying down this gauntlet uh, around kind of like anti wokeness, right? Going a higher education, yeah. we're going to go after this stuff is going to be one of these key things, and then Trump just this week. Um, kind of, I happen to catch this. I mean, I don't follow his like whether whatever the truth social whatever their nonsense that he's got going on. Parlor, <laughs> right, right. But but no. uh, I think they had it on the majority report. They they played part of it or came up in one of my feeds, where uh, you know where DeSantis is going this anti woke stuff. Trump was full on anti trans. Right. Full on anti trans about, you know, your kids are being manipulated. He talked about like trans, like, you know, the kids that are kind of like kind of gender questioning everything like this, talking mm -hmm. about tra kind of uh, kind of uh, um, kind of trans being kind of about genital mutilation, like importing that kind of language. Yeah. So I from those Republicans who say we're going to distance ourselves from Trump. Right. I could see them. Then they're supporting DeSantis. Right. And then yeah. the news media is going to follow that and be like, well, like DeSantis is the reasonable one. Trump is the crazy. DeSantis is the reasonable one. Meanwhile, DeSantis is like like on the far right, <laughs> you know, so we shall see. We shall see. It's going to be crazy. But yeah, so that's our national. That's our kind of a uh, kind of national stuff happening in a kind of national wise. But um, that there's a lot of stuff that's been kind of happening right here, as we talked about on the show um, last week, and we talked about on the show even on kind of Monday too as well. We're seeing uh, most concerning what's been happening in my neck of the woods with uh, Penridge has been the kind of overlay of the Hillsdale curriculum. Um, that kind of right-wing Christian um, um, private college up in Michigan, the overlaying of that to the Penridge curriculum, um, mm -hmm. try, trying to force that through. That was like, you know, been, been kind of like first and foremost, like in the front of, like front of my brain. Um, but, uh, you know, I understand, like, it's not, it, we're seeing this spreading out. I mean, Central Bucks has been getting a lot of coverage about, um, you know, what's happening with Central Bucks. Um, that's ongoing saga. We're seeing the, um, you know, the the taking down of of quotes, right? We're seeing the kind of the implementation of the suppression policies and the censorship policies over there. We hear rumblings now that over in Souderton, we're going to get some anti-union campaigns. We're going to be some kind of more attacks are going to be happening there. Um, but my understanding is we're starting to start to see like uh, some of this kind of behavior creeping itself up in the Palisade school district too, as well. Right. So, you know, I mean, not, I, we don't have to start there, but like, I know there's been a lot of happening. We haven't talked about what's happening in Palisades for quite some bit, So maybe you can kind of, you know, kind of walk us into that. Um, yeah. kind of what you see thing, where you think, see things are, what's been kind of happening here, because it seems to be things are starting to move. Yeah, a little bit. Um, we've, we've been Palisades always, it's, it's, we're surrounded, like I said, by Penridge, by Quakertown, um, by Lehigh Valley, uh, you know, uh, school districts up in the Lehigh Valley. We're also surrounded, or, you know, we butt up to uh, Central Bucks, too. Um, and we've been largely immune to a lot of just kind of the craziness that's been going on. I mean, we had our fair share during the election. We had our fair share during, you know, the masking and COVID and stuff like that. But it was never anywhere near to like it, the points that it has gotten or to the levels of intensity that it has gotten in our surrounding districts. Um, 
So it's been largely quiet. The biggest news uh, in the past few months has been, you know, the, the stalled teachers' contracts. You know, so Palisades teachers were working without a contract for quite some time. Um, there are these large signs that had went up, basically alerting to the public, you know, our teachers never went on strike or anything like that. But basically, you know, the whole gist of why these contract negotiations stalled out was overpay. You know, this is a very small district. We don't have as much revenue coming in as other places do. And I understand that the district has a limited budget, but at the same point, you know, uh, the Palisades teachers were like, hey, we are some of, you know, the lowest paid in all of Bucks County, you know, and you can check that too. Like if you go on, you know, and you you look up basically starting salary for, for Palisades, I looked up on, um, uh, the Pennsylvania State Education Association. I looked on their website, and and it basically stated that before this contract or before the new contracts got ratified, which they just did at the end of uh, 2022 in December, um, you know, the starting salary for Palisades teachers was forty three thousand dollars, and that was not really comparable. You know, I mean, to a few districts perhaps, but it was certainly on that lower end. And I do believe it was like the second lowest out of all of you know Bucks County schools. You know, so there's a lot of this going on and it's not being made very public. The teachers showed up a couple of times, you know, um, all dressed in black, all, you know, for solidarity. They were speaking at some of the school board meetings and stuff. And then finally, at the end of the year, a compromise was struck. Now, however, uh, that's probably some of the most exciting stuff that's been going on um, up until last night. So last night, there was a school or not last night, on Wednesday night of this week, there was a school board meeting. And unfortunately, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't able to attend this one. But I talked with a woman who had um, tuned into the school board meeting via the internet. And basically, it was a relatively tame meeting. A lot of budgetary stuff going on. It's not very exciting. Some of this material is really dry. I don't know for people who attend regular school board meetings, but it's not always exciting stuff that's being talked about. Um, at least it's not supposed to be. You know what you see in Palace or what you see in Central Bucks and what you see in Penn Ridge is not usually what happens at school board meetings. It's just nitty gritty about running the district. It's not exciting. So anyway, during this budget presentation, uh, Director School Board Director Corlandis during the commentary period, uh, starts going off the rail, right? So according to people who were, you know, uh, at this meeting as well, that there is a whole group of these, you know, MAGA Republicans, you know, who showed up basically uh, stating, you know, that they don't want to support the Bucks County inter- here it is. I have it right Intermediate unit, right? Yeah, the Bucks County Intermediate Unit. Um, they were doing a budget presentation and just going over their plans for the new year. You know, this happens all the time. Like, this stuff is updated. These presentations happen. Um, and they're going over all of this. Now, this is an organization where you have classes like for the gifted programs and special education all fall underneath uh, this, this particular department. And every school has one, right? It's worth to say that all of public schools have this. And Cora starts talking at the very end. Cora starts talking at the very end of this in her comments about how she's she's really concerned about you know like where the funding is coming from for all of this stuff. And then she starts linking linking in um, what's going on at Central Box of Penridge, right? In the regards of pronouns and in regards to places like the Rainbow Room, you know, being used as a resource, you know, for school districts. And she starts going on about all this stuff. And mind you, this is during a budget presentation. You know, and 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 she's been one to kind of pop off about stuff like CRT and SEL and, and all of this kind of stuff. But you can see that it's starting to gain traction a little bit, especially with our new school board elections coming up. Right. 
So basically, she she's talking about this, and I had a few. Let's see, I had a few notes. Um, she had a problem with uh, the way a particular sentence was worded in the presentation agenda, right? So they had a whole list of goals. So if you go onto the the Palisades website and you go into the school board section, you can get a copy of their presentation material. So I have one sitting in front of me and they go over their goals and their strategies explaining, you know, what they're going to be doing for students and for the school, you know, this upcoming year. And in their goal number five, at the very bottom of it, they list uh, something called, you know, countywide leadership, right? So the first bullet point states it's to build positive relationships between the 13 county school districts and the intermediate unit. No big deal. The second bullet point states that they're going to advocate in the political environment for issues beneficial to the students and schools in Bucks County. This is the one that Cora had an issue with because it has the words advocate and political environment. Mind you, she's not really looking into the context of what this states because it says for advocate in the political environment, which basically means advocacy in government affairs, you know, for issues beneficial for students and schools. It's basically so this is civic education, thing. right? I mean, this is basically civic education, right? <laughs> it is. It's basically, you know, they're going to be advocating for public education as opposed to like private or charter schools or anything like that. I, I There's nothing wrong with it. But advocacy, the word advocate is now a trigger word. Right. We saw that with with Bucks or with Central Bucks. So she has an issue with the way this is worded. This is what this whole, you know, she's all upset about this. Then the whole issue of pronouns comes in, you know, to play, you know, and pronouns. There's never been an issue about any of this stuff in Palisades until she brings it up. And she's been getting progressively worse with some of this uh, stuff. Like if you were to go back on some of her meetings, she's always bringing up stuff about CRT, like I said, an SEL you know, but it doesn't really go anywhere. But at this particular meeting, she just drops this bombshell in the middle of, of like this, this presentation, which is really not appropriate. You know, she starts stating that she cannot possibly support an organization or a department, you know, that would even support a place like the Rainbow Room, because it's so dangerous for our children to be at our children. So she's speaking about our children. She doesn't have any children in the district anymore. Um, you know, and then she she's reiterating a lot of what is being, you know, projected on social media versus, you know, via the libs of TikTok and, you know, a lot of these right leaning organizations like Turning Point USA. Um, and she she's going off of some sort of script because at the very end of all this, she decides not to vote when they when they go to vote for um, the budget. She she votes no. She's a lone vote on this. Because basically she's stating, you know, she stated at the beginning of everything, well, our kids are still going to get these services even if we don't vote for it. That was her basic reasoning. And she said that she was not going to support this because of they support it somehow places like the Rainbow Room. Right. So she's actively making, you know, an anti-LGBTQ, anti-trans stance right then and there. You know, and she's voting for something that really is incredibly helpful for lots of students. Like I said, we have special education and gifted programs that fall underneath this budget. Yep. 100%. Um, and then at the very end of it, we have like, I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but we have our own, you know, brand of the Bedillions up here. Um, we have this one particular woman, you know, her name's Kathy Gentner, and she likes to come to the meetings and spout off about all kinds of propaganda. You know, she basically gets up at the end of this meeting and says, congratulations to the school board because they now just brought, you know, a political agenda into the district. 
So. Oh my God. Well, yeah, and I think just for if if those folks who uh, if you're kind of new to the uh, the ins and outs of these folks on these school boards, just as a reminder, who Cora Landis is. Um, there's a great piece. Uh, Linda Lee wrote this back in 2021 uh, on Cora Landis about who she was. And so I'll give you this. Here's a little quote from that article. It was called, uh, which was titled Palisade School District's new right-wing board member, Coralandis, part one, part two. But so Coralandis was elected, right? So, but in the fall, so before she ran for school board, Coralandis was on Facebook, seemed to identify with QAnon, a right-wing conspiracy hub dedicated to loony ideas. In a September, uh, September 2020 Facebook post, Coralandis said, quote, Yes, I am a Q follower, unquote, and went on to say that 5G, quote, is deadly to those with weak and compromised systems, unquote, and that, quote, when you die from wearing the masks and not having enough oxygen in your blood, they will, will blame it on corona, unquote. Yep. <laughs> she also kind of uh, shared beliefs, right, uh, through her through her kind of online stuff that, yes, there were Satanists in Hollywood that drank the blood of newborn babies, right, to keep themselves young. So, oh, yeah. And I bring that up, right, because in part because it is, it's like outlandishly like hilarious that somebody is saying these things. And yet we're talking about, you know, I mean, if you want to talk about the national level, you're talking about 43 million Americans identify with this kind of line of uh, things right? around 72 to 17 percent of Americans are identifying with this. And more importantly, these are the folks that are kind of at the core and driving force behind local Republican politics. Right. And so one of the things that I thought was most interesting when you're talking about, you know, what she was saying at the school board uh, meeting, basically the, the positive thing, I think, for us, right, for like, you know, those of us not in the 17 percent of, you know, who've fallen off, fallen off the edge there or you know, the other Republicans decide they're just going to support her regardless. Um, uh, the important thing for us, I think, is that she's telegraphing what their agenda is, right? Yep. She's telegraphing this is what is going to happen for this school board election. And and in some sense, it's good that she's saying it now, right? Because I think that uh, unlike what we saw in the last, like the last round of school board elections when uh, school board candidates were getting the advice from Democratic consultants that you just don't engage with these people, you don't talk about it, you don't, refu- you don't kind of go after this, you just ignore them. Well, that's not going to work this time around. And so it gives, I think, you know, folks who are going to be stepping up for doing school board or be campaigning around this stuff um, can start to think now about how is it, what's the best strategy of kind of responding to them um, and kind of highlighting um, what the agenda is here and how freaking off the wall these comments are. Yeah, I mean, we have, I mean, like I said, the the, the woman who, who commented at the board meeting um, she, she's a frequent commenter, you know, and she does, she, she's constantly bashing, you know, the district and she's always talking about, you know, how indoctrination and this and that, you know, and she, she really is a follower of that stuff. And, you know, they're, they're, it looks like she might be making a bid to run for the school board. You know, we have this election coming up. There's several seats that are going to be up, you know, we don't know who's going to be running again or anything like that. Nobody's really announced anything yet. You know, and and for the moment, Cora's by herself. She's very outnumbered on our school board. Um, we have a very, I think, really good school board for the most part. You know, I really think they have the general interests of the students and the teachers and the community at at their heart. You know, no matter what their ideological differences. Right. You know. Um, but she's this lone vote. You know, but all it takes is you know two more people on that school board, perhaps. You know, who who are buying into this whole thing. 
you know, into this nonsense for things to really start to change. Right. You know, and that's that's the scary thing. Like things don't move very quickly up here in Palisades, you know, whatsoever. Um, so it, it, I was expecting it to happen. Uh, but it's crazy, too, because this is at a meeting that, you know, it's not a whole lot of people are at, you know, and just like, bam, there's all these people here, you know, uh, these extremists like pushing these views. Yep. So I, I think that's their kind of entrance. And like I said, this woman, Kathy Gettner, she posted up on her social media later on that evening, basically like, you know, asking, you know, what are people looking for in a school board director? And she had all these response and these comments back from people. Uh, and when I was looking at them, uh, I think maybe two live in the district, actually, um, uh -huh. two of the commenters. There's people like Joshua Hogan from Reopen Bucks commenting on there. You know, so if you're turf, I think that she is possibly going to have, you know, a substantial amount of funding behind yes. her if she decides to run. And that's that's where it's really going to make a difference. Yeah. Well, she was one of the Paul Martino babies. Right. She was the one she was one of the it was on their website. Right. Of that. They're supporting that when Paul Martino's like I'm forgetting I'm dropping the name of his uh, organization that he had. Um, the right for not right for bucks. That's the other guy. Do you mean uh, like the keeping kids in school pack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The keeping kids in school pack, right? I mean, you know, that she was one of the promoting candidates. They endorsed candidates. Cora. They, yeah. Kathy hadn't run. She didn't run during the last right. school board election, but they definitely endorsed Cora, you know, 100%. Yep. I mean, and the link, I'm not surprised that Cora, like, you know, spouts off this stuff once in a while, but you can tell it's being fed to her. Like, she literally just regurgitates, you know, things that she sees on clips on Fox News and what, you know, is planned for her to say at these board meetings. You know, and, and after the election had happened, you know, I ended up doing this entire huge research paper basically linking, you know, her campaign strategies to to what was happening at the national level. Yep. You know, and it's still all very relevant. And I think, you know, with this next school board election, we're going to see even more of that. Except this time, you know, people aren't hiding anything. They're just coming right out and saying it. You know, because when Cora was running the last, when she was running, you know, her slogan was getting back to core values. She was spouting off, you know, her thing was teaching truth without indoctrination. Um, how to think, not what to think, you know, prepare students for life after high school and, and, you know, keeping schools open, you know, and she's remaining fiscally conservative, you know, and that, that presents a little bit of an issue when she puts something in there, she runs off of a platform where she wants to remain conservative, you know, in the fiscal affairs, you have to understand too, that we're not dealing with just, you know, um, objects, we're dealing with right. students, right? We're dealing with actual human beings about these figures and these numbers, you know, they're, they, they have consequences, you know, and when you cut budgets, you, it means you're cutting resources for children, you know, and one of the things that I found incredibly concerning over the past several school board meetings, and especially over these teacher contracts, is Cora never really seems to lend her weight in favor of, of a whole lot. She was always very concerned about the money, you know, and I understand, like I said, that the district is not a Fortune 500 company to quote um, our board president, you know, Musantry, Bob Musantry, he said that, <laughs> You know, but like he did make it very clear to Cora um, during one meeting, they kind of got into it a little bit. And he's like, our biggest expense is human capital. You know, it's 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 the teachers, it's the staff. Like, what do you expect all this money to be spent on? You know what I mean? And where are you going to cut from that? And she's basically, you know, um, she's got issues with with a lot of the curriculum. She's got issues with, you know, the amount of money that teachers ended up getting paid, you know, when they were ratifying the new teacher contract at the very the last meeting of December of 2022, they were ratifying the the, the approved contract. I'm so happy to see that they, you know, reached a resolution with this. Yeah. Um, 
it was rather unceremonious. It was a very small meeting, uh, you know, given the circumstances, you know, but they all vote yes on this. And then during the, the board commentary at the end, Cora starts speaking about how she was really kind of disappointed with it, you know, and that she basically, it was more than she was expecting, you know, that it's, it, it, but then I asked her about what all, like I emailed her, right? I emailed her about her misgivings and like, what was her problem, you know, because she didn't clarify anything. You know, she's very cryptic when she talks at these board meetings. She doesn't finish her sentences a lot of times and she skips around to topics, you know, which leads me to believe that she really doesn't know anything that she's talking about or she's reading over these briefs and these agendas literally a half an hour before she gets to the meeting. Right, right. Right. You know, but she's basically, and, and her response was that she was more irritated, I guess, or she had more misgivings over the process, you know, basically of all this. And that's not what she stated in the meeting. The meeting was that she stated that there was more money being given to these teachers than she was expecting or had hoped for. So. Yeah, and that's just it. I mean, this is, you know, this is one thing I've been trying to telegraph on, on you know, our show for quite some time is that, you know, the the attack coming at kind of teachers and teachers union is that is is where we're going next with this. And I think yeah. that, uh, you know, the fact that she's kind of raised, oh, my God, it's more than I thought it was going to be. This is just reflective of what's in that soup that they're all kind of like, you know, having their meals from um, that there's in the soup is that teachers union bat. Again, this is an old script. This is not something that is like the first time we're going to see, you know, first time we ever see this stuff. But they are going to be coming at that hard. Like, and I, I see that happen. You know, I see that's coming really hard in the central bucks because uh, they got a teacher. You know, their their contracts going to be coming up. It's going to be coming up mm-hmm. um, uh, in Souderton for sure, right? You already have these anti union folks starting to set up kind of these uh, these supposedly pro teacher sites, which are really anti union sites. Um, it's like you know, it's like these. Uh, these pregnancy crisis centers that are supposed to be set up oh. to try to kind of like, um, you know, help you. But really what they are is they're anti-abortion sites that are funded by this stuff. You got the same thing that's going on here with the, you know, in Palisades. You're setting up like, oh, we're here, like, we're here for teachers and teacher control. But really what it's about, it's about kind of destroying the infrastructure um, and kind of exactly opposite of what they're suggesting. And it's like, the, like these, you know, there's a small like group of tactics that these people use and they just kind of move them from one site to the other um, as a way of kind of destroying stuff. Cause destroying stuff is a hell of a lot easier um, than building it up or sustaining it. So. It is, it is. And it's, it should be worth noting too, that there there's been people fishing around Palisades. Cause like I said, this is not like a hotbed of activity. It's just, it just, and just because of the demographics, right? right. Most of the residents of, of our district of our area up here are 55 and above. Like a lot of them don't even have kids in the district. So, you know, it's very small. We don't, you know, have a lot of the diver. We obviously don't add it's 95% white up here. We do not have the diversity that other districts have as well. But nonetheless, you know, I was looking a few weeks back, I was looking into our right to know requests. I was looking into our logs. Uh, these people, Kathy Gettner included, they, they, they racked up some pretty hefty bills that our district has had to fork out um, in legal fees, basically, for these right to know requests. And a lot of them are really ridiculous. But I was looking at a recent log of it. And, and it's funny because there was this conservative reporter that was poking around looking for information about our library materials. You know, that was denied, actually, it states on the right to know request that his his request for information was denied. So I don't know where he ended up getting his information from because I emailed this reporter and he did get back to me about it. And he basically um, told me, you know, that he was given a tip, right? He didn't disclose the source or anything, but he was given a tip and he stated in this email that basically he got a hold of the, the materials he was looking for and he turned out to be bogus. 
a bogus tip, right? Because clearly whatever he found in our library materials was not of a problem, you know? And then we also have these other, uh, this other organization, it's called the Freedom, oh, here, let me pull it up right now. Uh, it is called the Freedom Foundation, and they were poking yep. around, and I was really curious about who, you know, what this organization was and who they were, and I ended up putting out, like, a tweet on Twitter, and I tagged our surrounding school districts of, like, hey, is this organization, like, looking for information, right, in your district, and I was met with a barrage of people from Central Box who were just you know, basically like challenging the fact that I even was like putting this information up there, right? They were like, well, you know, what's wrong with this and that? And it, it was, it was this one, there was a couple of posts that were pretty nasty, you know, and all I was doing, because it, it, it's instantly baiting. They were, I don't know if I sent you some photos of the ones that yeah. <laughs> were being sent, but it was ridiculous. And it was all because I was asking about this particular organization. That was it. Like oh, who's poking cool. around. So clearly these right-wing forces are trying to nudge their way in you know, they're not gaining a whole lot of traction, you know, but I don't see it taking them very long, especially, you know, if, if the area continues to elect these right wing supporting people. Yep. There we go. There we go. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, uh, both, by the way, Ross and Emily say hello. Um, but, uh, Ross had just recently posted, uh, something too, as well to notice that, uh, the Moms for Liberty uh, has already, and I think it's actually coming up tomorrow, Moms for Liberty is already starting their how to run and win your school board election training um, sessions um, kind of uh, right down in Levittown. So, um, you know, it gives you the sense of wh how, where the, the money that is already at work on this, right? And it would make a whole lot of sense is why certain folks don't want a whole lot of attention being paid to the money that is uh, floating around behind the scenes for all these supposedly grassroots organizations. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we're, we, we can be expecting probably a little bit more. I don't know how fast, you know, or how quickly this stuff is going to come up. Um, but as, you know, these elections come up, things are probably going to pop off just a little bit more. They're probably going to get a little bit more heated, just like last time, though. I don't think it's going to be the same dynamic. Um, <laughs> They're, they're, I think it's going to be way more focused on the sitting board members that are that are already there um, and basically because there's only so much these people can do. You can't pick apart our curriculum like I just don't think that there's enough support generally, you know, it, within within the whole Palisades district, you know, for this type of stuff. We'll see. We'll, well see. I, I don't know. I mean, you think we're going to see what money can buy. I mean, I think really that's what it's going to come down to. I mean, you know, Emily just said, you know, there's five seats up for school board this year in Palisades, which is which is significant. Right. I mean, that's a that's a big chunk. And um, we will we will see um, if the money is going to flood in and what impact that's going to have. Um, yeah. My concern is like, you know, I think, you know, I think most people, you know, even in, in, in Penridge where, you know, it's a fairly, you know, again, we it leans conservative in this area and all this kind of so moves and that's kind of, you know, changing where you're at. Um, but a small group of people have been able to hijack the school board and had a disproportional impact to, to the point where they control everything now. So, oh yeah. Um, yeah. and Penridge has, and Ross comes in, yeah, Penridge has five coming up too as well. So we're going to see, you know, um, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be significant, right? So I think that we can, oh we can, we can dig in for this.
Yeah. And and the one of the biggest things too is I think that bothers me the most, you know, about this kind of stuff is that so like I've mentioned many of times, Palisades is not a very large district. We actually have issues right now with declining enrollment. And this has been a problem for quite some time, right? You know, every year there's talk about building usage and capacity size, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. And eventually we're gonna have to close the building down. Because eventually if the declining enrollment trends happen, we're gonna have or keep going, I should say, the way that they are projected to go, you know, um, we are going to end up with just a very low student population. We're, we're sitting at what, 1399 right now? You know, that's it. Like <laughs> barely 1400 students in our district, you know, compared to, you know, like say someplace like Central Box, which is the third largest district in, you know, in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. They have like 17, 18,000 students. It's ridiculous. But to have this, you know, right wing school district or these right wing to have a right wing school district up here is only going to push people out, right? It's going to push a lot of people, you know, to perhaps send their children to charter schools, which we're already seeing a lot of anyway, you know, because they don't want it. And and I just feel that it's going to like increase the issues. Like yep. people are, we have a we have a lack of like housing up here, affordable housing. A lot of people want their preserved open spaces, which is beautiful to look at, but it's not very conducive for revenue for the district. You know, I personally feel that our townships should allow a little bit more building in this area because we do generally have a pretty good school district. And I feel like we should be attracting families, you know, but with this with this wave of, of right wing bullshit coming up and creeping up into our area, I think it's just going to dramatically, you know, um, elevate this to a whole nother level. Right. I mean, what happens then when when they cut when they decide, you know, that oh, we don't want federal funding anymore, we're going to end up like Hillsdale. Like, it, it's yep. just it's scary. I'm already thinking, you know, uh, you know, of not sending my youngest, you know, into the middle school here because I don't want to have to deal with this crap forever. You know, especially if the next school board elections go in any remotely of the same direction as the last one went. I you hear know, people you. are very conservative up here. They don't like a lot of change. And, and a lot of people up here are, are absolutely hellbent on this whole, like, critical race theory, communist driven, whatever left-wing evil stuff that they feel is happening you know so and you can see it you can see it how you know people like Cora are, are linking places like the rainbow room and stuff right. like that which is just an extension of what's been going on in central box yep. that's not there's not been an issue there has not been problems with things up here until they make it a problem yep exactly exactly well you know it's like uh my uh my guess is this is not going to be the last time we talk about this. <laughs> so, uh, I think that, you know, I mean, I, I'm so glad you could come on today to be, to be able to kind of like unpack some of this stuff because I think, um, you know, we've got, you know, like I said, we've got Alyssa Bowen coming on in a couple of weeks where we're going to looking at some of the, the funding streams that are coming in, like the new push to um, kind of load in lots of money around these school board races. Um, and, you know, as I've said on the show quite frequently is that we're going to have this, you know, a, a, a pretty kind of ongoing focus on what's happening in the school boards precisely for um, this kind of reason. So we've just got these seats cutter coming up and we're going to need to uh, be paying attention to this and, you know, keeping the organizing going. So, yeah. Yeah. And if anybody from the Palisades district, you know, is concerned about this stuff, um, I would really recommend if you can make it out next week. Uh, I do believe that there is a, a educational program services uh, meeting. So I think it's at 630. Uh, and I, I'm just looking for the information on that real quick. So I do have it. It's um, yeah, next Wednesday on February 8th. It's at 630 p.m. Uh, in the high school library. So. In the high school library. Yep. 
Well, very good. Well, listen, everybody, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back. We're going to kind of dig into some uh, uh, non-school board, non-crazy politics kind of stuff, although politics is never far from anything, is it? Um, but uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about Game of Thrones, uh, not Game of Thrones. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the House of Dragon, which is the prequel uh, Game of Thrones. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Rings of Power, um, the prequel of Lord of the Rings, uh, both series, which kind of met with their own degrees of controversy and so on. But we're also going to just talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, what characters thought was cool like and stuff yeah. like that right so here you go all right so this is kevin mahoney creator and founder of raging chicken i'm here again with amy connect and we're going to be back right after this quick break uh you know for hopefully a little bit of fun all right we'll be back right after this quick one everybody see you soon I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1971. That was a day of tragedy for the workers at the Thiokol Chemical Corporation plant in southeastern Georgia. An explosion killed 27 workers and injured dozens more. Explosive material meant for the Vietnam War had instead detonated in Georgia. In the early 1960s, NASA had contracted with the company to build solid rocket motors for the space program. Thiokol acquired 7,400 acres of land at Horsepen Bluff, an isolated area of land that used to be a plantation. The company built a large 36-building complex. As orders from the space program waned, the company shifted its production to pesticides and and munitions. One item they produced was trip flares for use in the Vietnam War. A trip flare is employed by a military operation to secure an area. A flare is connected to a tripwire and ignites if it is triggered. The highly flammable magnesium is a key ingredient to the flares. A fire started in one of the buildings of the plant. The employees were able to evacuate quickly, but they did not leave the area, not realizing the danger of a potential explosion. When the blast came, it could be felt as far as 50 miles away. Some of the victims were hurled 400 feet in the air. An investigation found that explosive materials had been improperly labeled and that the company's fire protection system was woefully inadequate, contributing to the loss of life. After a drawn-out legal battle, victims of the disaster won a federal lawsuit against the company for their negligence. The Vietnam War had taken an unexpected toll on the working people who gave their lives, making trip flares for the battlefront. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. Hey, everybody, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. I'm here once again with Amy Connect. And we are kind of taking a diversion away from politics or in order to talk about politics and fiction. So uh, <laughs> here we go. Uh, so, Amy, where should, where should we begin? Where should we begin? Oh, I think we should bring in House of Dragon for number one. Considering we're talking about politics, let's go to that one. That is the ultimate political drama series. So... 
100%. So, all right, before we get into any specifics, let, let's give it the overall, right? So what was your overall thoughts about the series, um, kind of kind of takeaways? Just so everybody knows, too, if you have not watched this stuff, there will be spoilers, right? Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, you know, enough, we, enough time has now passed that, you know, it's, you know we're not going to be, like, right on the cusp of things. So there will yeah. be spoilers. Yeah. So yeah, what was your what was your initial takeaway? Well, for for the first for well, I guess for the, my first initial takeaway was that I really liked the fact that even before the show was coming out, um, that they were going to be focusing on one of the houses, right? Like there's so many houses that uh, Martin writes about in the Game of Thrones series, um, and they're numerous, right? So trying to keep all of these houses straight in the Game of Thrones is can be a little hard. It can be you know there's a lot of different people um, and a lot of different these like clans. So House of Dragon is focused specifically on the Targaryens. And I think that's really important. And I was like super excited because the Targaryens are talked about in the Game of Thrones series, but you don't really get a whole lot of backstory about them so much, right? Um, about who these people really were. And and this series really goes into that. And it focuses on um, Viserys, uh, you know, who's pretty much like a lackluster king. It really is shouldn't be king, <laughs> um, you know, and his daughter, uh, Rhaenyra, you know, who's a female and who stands to be, you know, uh, uh, the next queen or the first queen of the Iron Throne, right? This is a patriarchal society, you know, much like we live in. Um, so having the secession of the throne go to a female, you know, is, is a big deal, just like sometimes it is in our world. So I think I was really excited first and foremost about that was just really going into depth of, of House Targaryen and seeing maybe some of like this madness that was so talked about and the dragons, especially. Right. So got to, got to have the dragons. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I was, I was also really excited about it. And for very similar reasons that you said there too, as well, because we get, you know, obviously, I mean, like House Targaryen is important in the game of Thrones in the part you have, you know, um, you know, the return, but we don't get to see, you hear, just hear lots of stories about the background. So that was just kind yeah. of like a cool place to start. And the fact that it's like, what, 400 years, right? Is it 400 years or 300 years before? No, I actually, so they said it was supposed to be about, there was differences. I think in the series, like it, it says 300, you know, I don't know. Some of the reviews said it wasn't that long of a time period or, or it was like maybe, I, I saw two different time periods. Like I saw like 300 and then I saw like 150 years. So I don't really know which it is, but it's definitely predates, you know, uh, the people in, in Game of Thrones. Because it's talking about, you know, uh, Daenerys Targaryen. It's talking about her ancestors. And there's a lot of similarities between her and, you know, the main character, obviously. Yeah, let me see what this says here. I'm just like, see. Bah, 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 bah. I think you have to be careful, too, because are we going off of, you know, book canon or are we going off of, you know, the series? <laughs> I did not read. No, um, no, I'm looking at the, the I'm, yeah, so, one. you know, so the first trailer for the House of Dragons confirms a series set 200 years before the Game of Thrones. So yeah. 200 years. That makes a little more sense. I had like this other, I had this kind of like longer time period, like in my head, which then I would yeah. keep on trying to fit like the characters and the developments of the, you know, what's happening in the family. I'm like, well, how, but how, <laughs> then how do we get from here to the, you know, because it seems like yeah. too much time. That makes a little bit more sense. Well, but I think that, you know, and overall, I have to say, it's like, um, I, I guess I've learned a lot about myself, I think, as a viewer of both of these series um, and then looking at some of the commentary that comes out online. Um, I, I find myself less concerned about kind of fidelity to the original and yeah. the kind of like, you know, the um, does this is this 100 percent consistent with those. other things? And I'm not knocking that stuff. I just like I just recognize that about 
how I was approaching these things. I wasn't looking for is everything consistent with the kind of the previous stuff. I just wanted to see what the story was, right? I wanted to yeah. see a good story and I want to see, you know, some interesting stuff. And I thought that for me, um, the um, uh, uh, Rhaenyra, right? The focus on Rhaenyra and her is just freaking amazing. Yes. And I thought her character, especially where the season ends, right? I mean, I thought like, and I might have even said this to you at some point, but in these these kind of words, but I thought it was like, it was like the, when you hit like the bottom of the barrel yeah. and then you, and then you experience a tragedy that you can't imagine, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And how that kind of fundamentally alters the course of one's life, right? But in this case of history, you know, and then, so like in, in like at a point where, you know, where like external factors, if you will, right, developments that happen that are even accidents, mm -hmm. then impact, right, this and have unnecessary consequences and against the direction that you'd like to move, right, um, like Rhaenyra Targaryen did not want to go in the direction we see at the end, then you lose a part of your, you know, like she loses a part of herself yeah. that was willing to do this other thing. And then now we've get the absolute warrior, you know, I mean, I just thought yes. there were a lot of people I thought that, that came out there really critical about where it kind of like where it ends in particular about the, you know, like the long kind of like childbirth scene and things like this. But I'm like, I, I mean, yeah, it was disturbing to watch, but it was, it was like horrifying. And it was like this point, I felt at least this point of like, such deep empathy with where she was mm -hmm. in the midst of all that, especially in such isolation. So, I mean, I thought like you know, that kind of arc and the fact that she was at the center of it, um, that, you know, again, we, I, I thought we we're going to spend too much time with, uh, with uh, Viserys, right. Um, with, you know, with her dad. Yeah. But he was, and he was more, he's, he's a funny character. I loved his character. I, I thought he was amazing. He's the King that never should have been, you know, because he wasn't suited for it. Yep. You know, his brother, Damon, unfortunately, you know, the firebrand that he is, I don't know. He probably would not make a very sound King, but he's definitely more suited for that type of role, that type of person to make these hard decisions that often need to be made. You can see that throughout the series that Viserys avoided it. He avoided confrontation. He didn't want to be bothered. Um, and you can see how that affected him, you know, like the one scene where he's trying to to show his manliness, I guess, and he's supposed to kill the stag, you know, uh, and, and it takes him several tries to kill this thing. And in the background, you can hear this animal, you know, like crying. It, it's terrible, you know, and you can see his shortcomings right then and there and how he is so very aware of them, right? So very aware of them uh, uh, and, and how he, he knows deep down you know, that his daughter, Rhaenyra, is much better suited for this than he ever will be, right? Um, and I really do like him as a character, and but I think it really sets it up nicely for Rhaenyra because she honors her father, right? She doesn't want to bring any type of war to the realm. She doesn't want to divide the realm over the matter of her secession. She feels it's really ridiculous, you know, throughout this whole thing. And she's very much kind of like on the sidelines like all these people are making all these decisions to go up against her when in, she's just like hey i'm just going to do my best to keep peace and all these people keep pushing her they keep pushing her they keep pushing her you know you have people like otto hightower who's out for his own advancement you know who throws his daughter at viseries like it just creates this whole crazy dynamic and i really you're right i really do feel for rhaenyra because i think she ultimately is trying to do the very best thing for herself and for her family and her duty 
being that she's this princess, that she's in line for the secession, you know, she does what she's ultimately supposed to do. You know, she gets married. She has children. You know, she devotes herself to to that sort of life that, you know, women are afforded in this particular uh, um, world. You know what I mean? And women do have it rough. So the fact that she's giving, a, you know, having this child in the background or her husband's plotting war in the next room and you can hear all this going on. I think that was brilliant to include that because it really does mark, you know, her, her in, not just her internal struggle, right, but like just the struggle period that she's had to face her entire life of no accord of her own, right, just because she's just there. She's in that particular position. And all of this stress is heaped upon her. And you're right, that last episode, you know, it just breaks her. It completely, you can just see the emotions seething out. Like, it's just done. I was crying. I was in tears. I was like, oh my God, like she's going to destroy everything. You know, you could see a little bit of that fire that Danneries had in Game of Thrones. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, you know, Emma Darcy is just like absolutely amazing in that role. I mean, she is just, uh, they are just like, you know, kind of amazing. Um, and, and I, I was, I was so happy to see that because like Millie Alcock, who plays like the young, um, kind of, uh, Rhaenyra, mm -hmm. I loved her. Oh, and she then, was fantastic. Oh my she God. I, and when, when, you know, like you get this jump forward in time, I was like, so upset. I was like, so upset because like, wait yeah. a minute, wait, 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 wait. What are you doing? You know, what do you, what's, what's happening here? What do you think? This is the crown. This is not the crown. This is like, you know, like, we're not going to do this like change of actors, everything, but. I was like, you know, it was sold 100%. I mean, it was like, you know, uh, what Millie Alcock did to, to basically set the character and the tone of that story was just absolutely unbe unbelievable and brilliant, I thought. And then for uh, Emma Darcy to come in and just provide such an amazing depth and kind of, you know, for, for her character, I just thought was, was, was crazy. Um, and then I also have to say the other thing is that the, the house high tower, right? Which is kind of like, Oh, the ultimate villains right there. Oh man. my God. <laughs> well, and it's interesting too, is because, you know, like Sir Otto high tower, right. Is the kind of hand of the King at that point. Right. And is as kind of like, is the internal politic, which of course we get in the game of Thrones too, as well. Right. Oh it's like, God, yeah. and it's like how they talk about houses and like the, the, how the whole series, how about houses and traditions and kind of almost like, the character of particular kind of threads of ways of approaching and fitting into this world. Yeah. Um, he's like, that guy is like, I thought one of the most evil like people that we've encountered in any of them because of the way that his manipulations and then using his daughter as the means by which to kind of gain access to a kind of further power. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's really like, and what he does right there is now for him, Otto Hightower to, to use his daughter as a pawn, it's not unusual in, in the series or right. anything like that, right? But the way that he does it, and he specifically pits her against Rhaenyra as yes. childhood friends. Like, he is integral to the disillusion of, of or the disillusion, or dis, I, oh my God, I'm like missing the word I'm trying to say here. <laughs> you know, he's basically integral to, to their relationship breaking up, right? Yep. The fact that they're no longer close. And you can see neither one of them really wants it. All throughout the series, Rhaenyra never really wants to be a problem for for Allison, right? After she after after she's married and all of this. She just kind of really wants to be like left alone. She's not trying, you know, I think, to make herself an enemy. And and especially after they do the the time shift where she's an adult. 
you can see that, you know, she's not trying to challenge anything, you know, and you can see Allison at the same time is, is convinced at the fact that at some point, you know, that she's going to be pushed out and then what's she going to have, you know, and she's really protecting her own. And that's one of the, the more interesting dynamics that I do enjoy about how Game of Thrones was done, but then also to how, how House of Dragon was done is the relationship between the women, these very strong character women that you get in this. I mean, in Game of Thrones, you have people like Arya Stark and Sansa, you know, and they go through unbelievable hell, you know what I mean? And they're such strong characters, but there's this bond between them and you can see this and it goes across house lines too. So the best example of this is probably, you know, between Allison and Rhaenyra, because you can see Allison though too is always trying to defend Rhaenyra at the same right. point. Like she's not trying to actively destroy, they're not trying to actively destroy each other. You know, it's all of these external forces are telling both of them that you have to do this. You know, you have to do this for a matter of your own survival, you know, but then also too, um, the relationship Rhaenyra has with Rhaenys, who would have been queen, you know, in another in another life, yeah. you know, she would have been the queen. And as much as she's made her peace with it, she's not really an ally of Rhaenyra, but she's not an enemy. And you can sense that she feels a strength, you know, this this bond with Rhaenyra because she she understands a lot of what she's going through. Right. And she's got her own granddaughter. So there's a lot of these very strong women who are just out to really protect what what is theirs. You know what I mean? And it's just, I, I do like that dynamic. So I think that's one of my favorite things about it. They always seem to be more of the voice of reason in, yep. in these in these episodes, in these series, you know? Yeah, and I think they do, I, I just thought it was a really great, I mean, but yeah, you said like, um, uh, uh, Rhaenys Targaryen, right? Who's oh, married love to- Love her, Yeah, love to her. like Corlys uh, Valerian, who's like, you know, it's like the other key house to like, you know, Targaryen Valerian kind of like alliance, which has kept this, you know, lineage going and this, and this power kind of like going. Um, she is so like, and her character, the way that she carries is like hardened, right. By the context, you know, um, but she's not malicious, you know, she's not, nope. um, she, but she's, you know, she's a kind of like realist hardened actor. And I think like you said that, that she feels for, um, Renera, and there's a kind of that bond there relationship with it. Um, and at the, you know, it's at sometimes you see her wanting to con uh, consult, uh, like counsel her to kind of like, you just got to play your role because that's all we get, right? Yep. As women. And then other times, yeah. was like almost rooting for her. And again, be, starts to root for her, right? I mean, once they're, once you get at the end, when mm -hmm. they kind of, kind of, the unexpected turn, the question of what is, you know, what is Rhaenyra going to do, right? And then you find out that, oh, no, she kind of, like, puts her lot in with um, the Valerians, right? With uh, Rhaenys and stuff. Then you see Rhaenys, like, all right, yeah. we're, we're, we're going to do this thing, so. Well, and, 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 yeah, because the High Towers and basically, um, and Allison and then her, Amon, right? I believe that's the name is Amon. You know, when they have them, when, when Amon is crowned king, you know, and, and they lock up, they lock up Rainey's without any, like, they don't know what she's going to do. She very well could have supported the whole damn thing, right. but they didn't even bother. They didn't even bother. But because Rhaenyra is related, you know, adverse, you know, because of marriages and all this stuff, because of the ties, they automatically assume that she's going to, to throw her lot in, right. you know, despite the fact that she's lost her daughter due to Damon, <laughs> right. basically, and that she lost her son, you know, in the series, they show that he's not killed in the book, I think it's portrayed a little differently. Um, or so I was reading somewhere, but, you know, 
but then, you know, she breaks out of this and she basically like storms the whole thing with her dragon. And she's like, fine, you know, you're going to push me to this point. I am going to go with, with, with them. Right. I am going to join Rhaenyra. And that's when she shows up and is like, you need to know this information. Right. And that's that respect right yep. there, because if she didn't have respect for Rhaenyra, no matter how much she might hate Damon, no matter how much she doesn't agree with Rhaenyra and the choices, she has this respect for her that I just found was just incredible the way that they showed they showed it. Yeah. 100%. And I guess it's it's Aegon who's crowned king. Aegon, sorry. Aegon is, right. no, no, I just looked it up because I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I, I was, I just, I'm like, uh, I was saying to Amy before we started talking. So, okay, I got to bring up like character name lists because I'm yeah, horrible at remembering so names. Many. And they're, especially like we were saying, is like so many of them are, are similar, right? And so yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So I looked down and see, yeah, it's Aemon is the guy who loses the eye. And then Aegon is the one who's ends up being crowned king there. I'm not buying the actor they picked for the adult version of Amon with the with the thing. First of all, I think he looks incredibly way too old for 16. And he's supposed to be 16 or something like that. I'm not really too thrilled with with some of the character choices with some of the kids that they picked. Yeah. You know, I thought that was a little strange, but you can see some of that nastiness. And he reminded me of um, Amon reminds me of uh, and I forget his name. I think it was Viserys too. Uh, Danneries. Targaryen from Game of Thrones, her brother, who's only in the series yes. for like the first couple episodes, but there's a lot of similar that that maliciousness that you see, right? That out for blood. Yeah, you I'm know, really, I, I, I was trying to think of who he reminded me of the character, yep. and I was like, who is it? And then it then it hit me. So, and I'm pretty sure his name, like I said, was Viserys too. He was named for King Viserys. Yeah, I think that, that I think that I, I I am like I said, I'm horrible. <laughs> thing, so, um, and yeah, and that Amon character is like I. He's going to be, I, I'm just curious where, where, where he's going to go because, um, you know, I think he's going to, I think he's going to end up going up against Damon. They have very similar personalities. They have very similar ambitions. I, I really think they're going to either end up killing each other or becoming alliances because I yeah. think both of them are out for power. Right, exactly. And it, but their, but their motivations are different though. You know, I mean, that, that's the thing that, you know, you have like Amon seems like, okay, he was wronged. Right. He lost yeah. his eye and he was wrong. And he has he's driven by just well, I guess they both got deep resentments, right? That are coming out of that. Um, but it seems like Amon has got more like a revenge a kind of I wanna I want I wanna hurt you back kind of um thing where it seems I, I mean again from my perspective at least, I think that um like Damon is like he's like calculating cruelness, <laughs> right, of power. Um, he's scary. He is scary. Yeah. I, I forget the actor's name who plays him, but he, you brought up the crown. I think that's funny. Cause he, Matt played, Smith. he played, yeah. yeah, he played Prince Philip in the crown in the first two seasons, which I really loved. Yep. Um, but he, he's, he, I've never seen him in a role like this before. And it's, it's a little scary. Yeah. <laughs> he's certainly a, a force to be reckoned with. And I think it's rather interesting that Rhaenyra really doesn't see it that she does not see it, that in his relationship with her, it's simply, she's a stepping stone. I think he cares for her, but I don't think he cares for anybody enough over himself. And that's just the end of it, you know? So I, I you can see that by the end because she's basically trying to stand in his way of waging war on her behalf, you know? And, and he basically almost chokes her out. Yep. You know, and you can see, and she, I think she's starting to see that. And I think we're going to see more of that break between the two of them, that united front that they seemingly had is going to just really break off in the next season. Well, I, what's interesting is like the dynamic, which they want you to start, they start to hook you with is that, okay, like you just say, you're going to see, um, um, uh, I gotta go back to the character. Your Damon is going to basically 
going to be the one who's going to want to push for war and all this stuff. Yep. I, I've got a feeling we're going to see a flip. You and think then, so? yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that, and it's not going to be a flip, not that he's not going to want to go to war, but I think that the way that uh, kind of Rhaenyra is set up now is that now her, she's going to start to scare Damon. I think Damon thinks that he was going to be able to control her ah. and be like, you know, be like the king in absentia, right? Or, yeah. you know, be the, uh, and then she was, she's has the right to be there and all this stuff, but he, this was going to secure it for him. And then I think he's going to find out that no, that she's secure it. Now it's, it's her. She is very much going to be at the forefront. And I, I see the kind of, there's going to be deepening resentment that's going to be built there. Yeah, um, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. But I could, but I could see that because, like I said, I think there's going to be a break between the two of them in some shape or form. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, which, whatever way it's going to be, because you can set, you can see the power struggle already between the two of them. And like, and I do agree. I think I, I, I think we're going to see a much more vicious and nasty Rhaenyra. Like I said, yes. I don't, I don't know. It could. I wish I had read the book, you know, a little bit more uh, or, <laughs> you know, had familiarized myself with it, but I just, I didn't get a chance to. And then I, I was reading somewhere that it wasn't even like an actual book. It was like a history. So it's not even written in a storytelling type yeah. of way. It's done a little bit different the way that Martin does. He's such a strange writer, <laughs> the way that he does things. So yeah, but actually, my biggest ex the only thing that I'm hoping for, the major complaint is there was not enough of the dragons in the first season. So I'm really hoping that in this, I hope, cause I think they foreshadowed that, you know, when they're talking about, you know, what happens when you pit dragons against dragons is that like the whole world burns, you know, and you saw that at the very end of that last episode, because, you know, uh, Amon is taunting Rhaenyra's, I forget his name, Rhaenyra's kid, you know, as he's riding his dragon and, and then he loses control of his dragon. You know, and and that's where I think like that's I'm really hoping we see more of these like dragon battles. Yeah, in the, I, next, I, in the next season. Yeah, I think it's going to get dark and apocalyptic. I think. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, do, I do think yeah. so. Well, yeah. and all, that's you, what I I remember from Game of Thrones yes. that people would talk about like the dragons basically and how like everything was on fire and it was this epic split between you know because because you know that there's a split coming because it talks about it you know yep. in the Game of Thrones between the Targaryens. Yep. So that's going to be fine. Yeah, uh, uh, Lucerus or Luke is the one who gets. Uh, that's right. Yeah, who gets name. attacked. Like, there's so many characters. <laughs> yeah. No, I know exactly, and I only I only come up with his name because I'm looking at the list of characters. Everybody, so <laughs> please do not subscribe to me any sense of like character knowledge. <laughs> so, um, no, but good. So yeah. So overall, I mean, I think overall with with this, I I loved watching it, and I I love to be immersed in what they were doing. I was, you know. I think this happens when they have series or they have prequels or things come out. I was, you know, what going into it, you know, having watched the game of Thrones and all this stuff, kind of expecting a particular line. And then the way the story was tell is, was not the same way as the game of Thrones. But like it was kind of slightly off. So it always took yeah. me that kind of like episode or two kind of adjustment to see how they were doing it. But I loved kind of learning that world and learning those families and, the, the strength of the acting I just thought was just, just amazing. And, you oh, know, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I absolutely, I mean, you know, I, I love Renera, um and I love her character. I love that what, uh, I, I'm so glad that she's really the focus of, um, some of, of so much of what's going on because I think her character is so powerful. Um, yeah. 
But. Yeah, I really think they're trying to channel like, you know, what if Arya Stark had been in Sansa's position? Do you know what I mean? Like as a head of a house, you know, yeah. and the older child and stuff like that, you know, who's put into these positions of responsibility. Because I think when the, the actress who played a young Rhaenyra, she really like I loved her and I, I loved the way that it was like she reminded me of the way Arya was, right? Like I'm not gonna get married, I'm not gonna have children. You know, but if you notice Arya didn't have the expectations that Rhaenyra had, you know, so she was free more or less to kind of do her own thing and pursue her own way, regardless of the circumstances, right. you know, the unfortunate circumstances she found herself in. Whereas Sansa didn't have that luxury. And you see that with with Rhaenyra. You know, she doesn't really have this luxury to to do what she wants. Right. You know, so, but I, I don't know. That's just similarities there. There's a whole lot of Easter eggs from the Game of Thrones. One of my favorite characters, my favorite side characters is, um, I forget his first name, but he plays one of the ancestors of the Lannisters. Oh. He presents himself as a marriage to, to Rhaenyra at one point, you know, when she's still younger, when she's still a teenager, because he's, he's in there. Um, and whoever is playing him, I swear, is going right. Is he? He's like Tyrion Lannister, but like just Tylen, Tylen Lannister. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, I yeah, love, yeah. There's two of them. There's twins. Oh wait, or Jason Lannister. There's there's two of them. Their brothers are like supposed to be twins or something. I think it's Jason Lannister. I love them. They are so halty and like arrogant and i'm like i love the lannisters period but i really feel like they were channeling Tyrion in that just the way that he was talking and you know going about all these it was just great i like loved all of it <laughs> awesome awesome all right so let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk uh rings of power yeah. So um, now Rings of Power, of course. Now, okay, this is the, the the political context of Rings of Power, right? Rings of Power, of course, like the trolls were out in force yep. when that came out um, because guess what? Middle Earth suddenly was populated with people of color, right? Um, and um, like really, like literally people freaked out over the fact that, you know, um, there were black people, <laughs> right? You know, and there were people of different races, different complexions, like, like people, the, the freak out of that. And yeah. like, for me, that was one of the huge bonuses of the whole freaking thing. Yeah. Is because we got to start, because, you know, look, I, I always, we always say this about fantasy, you know, and I, you know, because I, I play Dungeons and Dragons and I've been following a lot of these kind of really incredible kind of discussions and debates about, kind of um, the question of race in kind of fantasy, right? And how that plays it out in terms of even the races that are constructed in D&D &D and all this other stuff. And it's great stuff. It's like, well, look, when these games get started, right? When these, like when fantasy gets started, right? We had the domination of a very particular, like way of constructing these characters. And of course yeah. they're going to be embedded with, you know, the same kind of colonialist, kind of orientalist, kind of like like frameworks for which, you know, they were they were set out and that white people were going to be at the center. And that was going to, you know, and there was histories of that within uh, Tolkien and all this other kind of stuff and yeah. all those writings and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, okay, but guess what? We don't, we're not imprisoned by that, right? <laughs> you know, it's like we get to, because and guess what? It's fantasy, right? So we can actually <laughs> reset right kind of our our kind of perception and the context and how we think about these worlds that are mm -hmm. not kind of indebted to kind of outdated kind of you know modes around race ways of thinking about questions of race and who's what and color and relationship all this kind of stuff so for me is like to enter that world now where you know 
it's like everybody is like, you know, there's there's no like, okay, these people are white and these people are, it's not like that, right? It's like, well, everyone's kind of like, kind of like a range of folks kind of in all the yeah. different kind of, um, kind of ancestry history. So I found that awesome, right? Absolutely love that. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the diversity that they put in there. And because, I mean, if you, if for, and for anybody who's actually read Tolkien, right, you know, Tolkien doesn't necessarily, like, tell you the race of everybody who's in his stories. He might say, oh, this character might have a darker skin or a lighter skin, or they're an elf and they have this, you know, crazy long hair and, you know, they can walk on snow and water, basically. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But my biggest, the, the biggest thing about this is, like, it's literature. Right. It's 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 not real. Right. It's literature. So, you know, you can take it for however you want. And if you imagine a character with black curly hair or blonde hair, like it doesn't really matter because it's not about what they look like a lot of times. It's about the character and the connection that you have. Right. And that's the beautiful thing about literature. And that's why I think there there's a bit of a disconnect between people who truly love literature, because when they see that being depicted in somebody else's viewpoint or imagery, in a series or a movie, you know, it, it challenges their, what they saw. Right. Right. And it doesn't necessarily make it wrong. But like I said, when you have literature, you can't tell somebody, you know, that they got something out of, out of a Tolkien book that they did, like that they didn't get that's wrong. You can't do that. Like, that's not how this works, right, you know? Right. So I think it's beautiful to see that directors were incorporating all these different types of people, you know, and, and stuff like that. Like, I mean, oh my God, um, Doran's wife, I, gosh, for it, I forget her name. But the, the the king, the prince Doran of you know of of Moria, the dwarf kingdom. You know his wife. I loved her. The actress yeah, who she's played great. her. Holy hell! Her performance was like everything you might have expected of what a, a strong dwarf future queen. You know it yep. might portray. And I was like, the color of her skin mattered very little as as to you know what she brought to that screen. And I wish people could look past that a little bit more sometimes. No, 100%. And if you think about it, you know, I, the way I always think about what literature does, you know, and I think it, it Tolkien is important in my mind is, is that, like, on the one hand, like, Tolkien's weight in, in fantasy is just, you know, enormous, right? But also, you know, you look at the history of English literature, right? English yeah. literature has <laughs> yeah. been very much the literature of nation, right? But the literature of nation mm -hmm. of empire and colonization and all this other kinds of stuff. And we could take out whether, remove kind of intentionality from what Tolkien was trying to do here. It was like, what we can say is like, you know, so much of the kind of like edification of say, say British literature in particular um, is about this relationship to nation, like from my perspective, right? It's kind of like saying- I would not disagree with that. Yeah, it's like, this is a story of how we understand each other. I also think my belief is also, that's why there's the fascination so much and there's the, the kind of, they keep the royalty. Right. In part because it's it's about the narrative. It's not about like these people. It's about keeping a particular story about a people. Right. Um, that gets constantly challenged by the fact that the institution itself is no is further and further disconnected from yeah. who's who the people actually are. Right. And I think there's always that tension. And so with literature, so I think of say by re by coming back to Lord of the Rings now. Right. And coming back to this, like you say, years before Lord of the Rings takes place, coming back to it now, you can start, you can do the same kind of stuff. You say, okay, because it is 2022, <laughs> right? What is our world now? And let's start from this launching point, right? Um, and just kind of ignore the fact that, like, 
the the original was launched during a very different kind of like say political national economic structure, right? That now we're in this kind of point. If we use this as our starting point about stories moving forward, one, the stories themselves are going to be far more relevant and interesting, yeah. right? Because they're they allow that kind of same kind of reflection on our present, <laughs> right? In the way that you know literature always has done, right? It allows us yeah. to think about kind of where we are, relationships, you know, about our place in the world, all that stuff. Um, but it makes it in a more relevant context that, you know, that more people who are, you know, making up our, you know, nation societies now are going to be able to see themselves in these stories and contribute to it. Right. I, I definitely. And I think that's really important. I mean, like I said, we're in order to attract, I think, you know, younger people as well to some of this stuff, because some of these are great classics. Some of these are, you know, but it's not always that interesting, especially when you when you give it to people in a very traditional I hate that word traditional but like in the in a very traditional mannerism where like you know you go over the same points of the story you highlight the same themes you do that like it's boring right it can get yep. boring and when you when you when you switch that up a little bit or when you present visuals of a story that do incorporate more of a diverse population of what we see I, I don't think people are thinking that the original was like some terrible thing you know but when they're reading though then they're seeing things just differently in their heads right. As, as to say the guy who's reading Tolkien back in the 1940s might have read it, you know, or even versus of how like my father read it in the 1960s, you know, like it just really depends. And I think that that's part of it because, and, and I was not, I, I liked it for what it was. Like, I wouldn't say it was remotely anywhere near canon for Tolkien, but at the same point, like if you take the rings of power for what it was and the portrayal of these characters, I think it was awesome. Like they do time skip, but you have to. Because with Tolkien, we're talking about thousands upon thousands right, of exactly. years in between stuff. And if you can't base a series off that, you know, these elves like Elrond has has literally lived, you know, how long? Like, I don't even think we I don't even know. <laughs> well, if you think about it, I mean, he's like, so, at, you know, so I maybe was Rings of Power. No, Rings of Power may have been 400 years beforehand. I'm now I can now got to look. No, it, it was a couple thousand years be, beforehand. It had to have been because if because you have uh, Gan Volt. So basically, Rings of Power. So it's like I said, when it's time skipping, because it's definitely jumping around. Because what it ultimately, I think, is leading up to is that that big battle that we see at the beginning of the Lord of the Rings, right, where Sauron yes, totally. is defeated by a Sildor, right. So between the time of like when that actually happens, like you, they, they, they just, I think they, they condensed a couple thousand years into a, a more cohesive, you know, narrative, which is fine if people just really understand that. Um, but I think that's what they're leading up to. So, so I think there's a lot of nitpicking on some of this stuff, but also too, I think there's a lot of nitpicking because people perhaps have not read a whole lot of Tolkien either. So yeah, so I was just looking at this. So it says it takes place. It takes place during the Second Age, which spans yeah. which spans several thousand years. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Like an age is not like just a millennia. It's not a thousand years. It is a couple thousand years, and that's where people you need to understand when you're doing something. Like you can only represent what the author was trying to put into words on a screen right. in so many various forms. It's easy to write. Three thousand years have passed, but how do you show that? You know, on on the screen, or how do you? You know, you're trying, I don't know, it's just, but I think that's what they're leading up to is this big yeah, battle between I agree. Salrod and Isildur, because clearly Isildur is in the story. Yep. Well, so. I, I think this, this, here's a line, this is from this, uh, the site, um, uh, what's say Total Film or something like this, and they're, um, 
they um, are gamesradar.com was like whatever. So take it for what you will. But this is a great line. If the timeline wasn't compressed, we would be saying goodbye to a fair, f- uh, a fairly, uh, a fair few human characters every other episode. Right? Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> just about. in terms of the, the ability to 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 tell that story. Yeah. Um, but I also, again, I also, I, you know, this is like you know things similar to um with the, the game of the uh the House of the Dragon is the fact that the uh, Galadriel, um, is the the launching point for the whole story. Um, is also awesome because, you know, when we meet her in, in Lord of the Rings, right, yeah. um, in particular the films, right, yeah. you know, she's, you know, this, you know, like, like, like aristocratic kind of, you know, elven of the woods, right, kind of like kind of, of she's royalty. She's revered, she's respected by right. everybody, like she's, and she's feared too, right, yep. she's very powerful, she, she's feared, but not because of her physical prowess but because of just her ability to i i guess i don't even know i don't know what kind of power she actually has like it's not i haven't read the similarian so it's not or i tried to i should say i have not gotten through all of that it can be a little rough that's the other thing too is i don't think people really understand is trying to get through some of tolkien's stuff is not always the easiest because you're dealing with one a, a language that doesn't really exist, right? You know what I mean? So you're dealing with a lot of names and a lot of spellings. Of, it can be confusing, you know, when you're trying to, because you basically have to learn, uh, uh, um, what is it? Sin, sin, I'm probably not going to pronounce it right. The language of the elves, like it, it's yeah. Sindonerian or something like that. I guess that I'm probably butchering it. But like, that's the other thing, too. like I said, it's just, you know, you've got, you've got all of that in there as well. And, and like I said, if you're trying to, drag things out i just think people would be really bored yeah i think so too and i think and i i do say you know it's funny um my i've been thinking a lot about this too as well because i i like oh i should i should have said this right at the stop, top of it i loved it right i mean i loved oh yeah well me too yeah yeah so much about it and but but again this is what i learned a lot about like myself as a viewer right i like it it doesn't take much for me to <laughs> to like really if if the world is well developed right and it's a story mm-hmm. that's kind of like engaging i'm i'm on board i'm willing to go on for the ride right and i think um there was the, what the story that was taking outside, you know, departures from Tolkien's intention, whatever that might be. Yeah. I just thought that was really interesting. My, if I had to have any complaint about it and I don't think there was an, I don't think there's an easy way around this. Right. But you have a ton of time that happens, but the pace of the show itself is pretty slow. Right. You it's, think so? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a uh, from character development or, what is happening for this? And here, here's this is what got me thinking about this. Of if you look at, um, uh, I I tried to watch it with my kids, right? Um, so the first one, and they were bored out of their minds, right? And they, um, they just because it, and it had nothing to do with the story. They like all the stuff like in yeah, the story. Yeah. It was just about the pacing of the character. For me, I didn't have. That didn't occur. It didn't even occur to me because I was like in there. I want to know. Like yeah. I'm willing to sit with this for like <laughs> ten years, right? I don't care. I mean, I'm I'm with it, right? You know, I'm I'm in there. But it is, and you know, but this is true. If I think of Tolkien too, as well, is that there's a pacing of his world building, and the other thing that is, it is not action packed, right? It's no, like, it is not. The action, not. the action comes out of this these long kind of world developments. And I see that happening here too as well. And then when we got to the end of the series, right? I don't know how you would speed, I, I can't imagine how you would speed it up 
to be able to to be able to get to get Galadriel at the end to where you know to, 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 to walk through that. Um, and, and no so way. that I really There's appreciate. No, way. no, I don't think there is. You no, know, you you can't wrap that up, and you can see clearly that it's not done yet. You know, and that's the other thing. Like I said, Galadriel is very, very, very old, and they are depicting her. You know, when she's younger. You know, and and like so many of us when we are younger, and this is included in elves too. You know, you've got a bit of an attitude and agenda, and you know, you think you're invincible. And she's a great warrior. You know, and I think she shows that a little bit in the Lord of the Rings in the series or uh, in the movies, I'm sorry, when they, when they show the white council, um, you know what I mean? When they show the white council and she's protecting Gandalf and stuff like that, she's powerful. Yes. And I don't think people really understand how powerful she is, but the fact that she's using it in more of this quiet contained mannerism reserved in the Lord of the Rings versus this explosive, you know, personality in, in the rings of power. And I'm like, well, obviously like she wasn't always this way. She wasn't always this wise one. You just, you're not naturally, born a wise one not even elves right like not right. even elves they have to and you see that with elrond you know i'm not i didn't mind the casting choice of galadriel whatsoever i did mind the casting choice of elrond i was not very thrilled with with his he grew on me you know his personality but i don't think he would have i don't know i'm not it was that was a tough one well frank i gotta say i didn't love elrond in lord of the ring ah. movies either I mean, I, I, and, oh, see, I loved, I, I, I totally was digging. Yeah. Him, so I was I like, mean. I didn't, I, I just, <laughs> I thought he was okay. I didn't like, I just was not, I was, I was like, okay. And it was funny. Funny. You should say that you don't like his characters for me. When I saw this character with the chills Elrond for this one, I was like, okay, I guess I, I understand why they chose him because of who he becomes, <laughs> So, but you liked him. So my bad. <laughs> but, yeah. And, and that's just the way it is. I just wasn't, I, I did really enjoy the way that they focused on not really Elrond and yeah, you know, him particularly so much as an individual, but his relationship with Doran, because I think that's really important because they're really trying to show this, this split, this intensity of dislike between elves and dwarves, right? Because they're like rivals, basically, right. you know, and in the Lord of the Rings, you see the development of the relationship between Legolas and Gimli, which is always very cool, you know, um, and I think that they're just trying, I think it's a little bit of like, they're trying to recreate some of that same that same you know relationship style or whatever with with this one but it's nice and i do like it because i was they're my favorite characters is the, the doran and you know his wife and i just i loved it i love that whole scene and i think that's really important uh i was really happy to see when they showed the balrog at the end though i thought that was pretty cool yes that was great i always loved the balrog it yep. was one of the minds of moria is in the books is my favorite chapter yep. out of all of them it's all so them. good I, it is my absolute favorite, you know, and just to see that, you know, to show the emergence of the Balrog and Doran's Bane and, you know, all this stuff because of um, the Mithril and ah, I just thought it was great. Yeah, well, I have to say, too, as well, is that the, um, you know, that was probably one of the most memorable scenes, too, as well in the movie, right, with uh, with Gandalf on the bridge, right, kind of like, you shall not pass, oh, right? Yes, I mean, yes. just the most amazing scene, I think, in, in of, of uh, for me, the, of all movies, that just, of all the movies, like, of that series, that moment, right, because it is, it's a fundamental, like, you know, world shift, right? It happens kind of on either side of that bridge, so to speak. Um, so to see this kind of comeback, we get to see the the emergence um, within the Rings of Power, uh, you know, that was awesome. That was great. Yeah, yeah, um, And I also think with Galadriel too as well, is like, it's her character, because she is driven by such like vengeance, right? And real hate, yeah. 
right? Um, and of of what they, you know, they killed her. You know, her brother is dead because yeah. of you know of Sauron, right? You know, because she's going to hunt them down. She's going to hunt them down, and she's going to kill them. And to the point of where she's like almost like superhuman. Well, I mean, she's an elf, but you know, speak kind of. <laughs> Just she's so driven that even like the people with her are like, we can't go on anymore. We have to eat. We can't, we can't, we don't have this burning desire. You know, the burning desire of killing is not enough to drive us, right? So, yeah. so to have her. She's become completely obsessive about this. And she's, yeah, and she's convinced. But I also think too, it, it plays into something that we can relate to, you know, because this obsession of this evil that's lurking, right? She knows it's there, you know, but because it's not, showing itself everybody just seems to forget that it ever existed and that it wouldn't be normally a threat and if you go to the lord of the rings especially sauron has always been that major theme it's either been morgoth or or or, or him you know that there's always this this evilness right that's lurking in middle earth and to think that it would magically like disappear that's what i think galadriel part of is what she's so irritated about and she's so angry about because she's like you you don't see it like he's never going to stop this is going to come back we're not going to be prepared you know, like it's going to be a disaster, which is why she ends up, you know, trying to create that alliance um, uh, with, um, oh my gosh, it escaped me, the the precursor to uh, the, the Gondor. Um, oh, I'm not going to remember. Sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna, I've got, I've got, I, I have to hold on. I have to, I have to, to look. It's, um. Oh my goodness, I'm so irritated now. Well, while you're looking, let me just say this. I'll make this other point about Galadriel is like it, um, her character development there, it gives a whole different angle to, you know, that moment in the, um, in Lord of the Rings when, when Frodo offers her the ring, why don't you take it? And she has that point because it's the same thing, right? What is, what's going to drive you, right? Because it's, she's, she's at that precipice right now because that hate could take her over, right? That hate could turn her that hate could bring her in this particular kind of direction. So once I kind of saw her character, I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, there's like a whole other mm-hmm. kind of depth to um, what her character, basically. Well, and I think it's really good that you brought that up, too, about when Frodo offers her the ring. Because if you if you go, that make that whole scene makes more sense now in the Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? Like, not intent, this wasn't done intentional, or maybe it was by the Rings of Power series. But it definitely makes it more... Because if you're not familiar with the Lord of the Rings, you're kind of wondering while Galadriel is like, you know, she passed this test, but they don't really explain a whole lot of it, you know, about, and this definitely ties into that. So I think that's like, for people who aren't too familiar, should probably definitely like relook at, you know, the Rings of Power and then, you know, go back and watch that portion of the Fellowship, you know, yeah. with Galadriel. Because I do think things do make a little bit more sense about her character portrayal. Yeah, and I think that, you know, if you look at the, in, in the books, like, we get more of Galadriel in the books than we, you know, in Lord of the Rings than we do in the film. In the film, it's just really passing. She's there as kind of like, uh, you know, not, not that we spend a ton of time with her, right? But yeah. I think I think the, the context of her importance, even if we don't get all a whole lot of specifics about the backstory and what led to her, of that, you know, her being a really significant to this world. She's consulted more, I think, if I remember right, in the books than she yeah. is in the films and stuff. So that that but, kind of thing. Sh- yeah, but they do show the White Council in the films, and I do want to give the, the yes. director, who's Peter Peter Jackson, that because he really does incorporate other elements of Tolkien that you don't see in the Lord of the Rings story so much. Like you don't you don't really understand her import. Like you said, your her importance. Like she's a major 
figure in this world, right? And yep. she's not, she's just kind of glossed over. So I really did love the fact that in the movies, they they showed that portion of it, right? Because you really get a better understanding of like who's running things in Middle Earth, like who's making these big decisions, you know, and stuff. Also too is why they, they would like tell Gandalf, like this isn't a good idea. Because my whole thing was like, well, what authority do they have? You know, to, to tell <laughs> like these wizards, like whatever. Who the hell are you? Who are you to say any of this? But then it makes more sense, right? Yeah. So I, I do. That was cool. I know there was a lot of backlash about some of that because they're like, "Well, that wasn't in the story," but you know, it makes sense. It it helps create better context for what's going on. Yeah, and it also it also kind of it also I think interferes with, um, you know. Uh, us kind of like overlaying our own projections of kind of like societal organization and the way things are done onto yes. the book. So, you know, and, and not to say, just, I mean, just as a, just a kind of like a natural thing that we're doing, right. Mm -hmm. We're looking for points of connection and kind of thinking out the stuff to see that was look at a nice little kind of gentle disruption to say, well, things are working a little bit differently here. Um, yeah. To think about it, which is kind of cool. Yeah, because especially in that one scene, too, and then I, like, now I can stop talking about it, but it's the one scene in that, too, you know, where they show, because it's in the whites, in the scene of, uh, I think it's the the two towers, right? Is it the two towers? It's the two towers, where they show the White Council, where they I mean, show yes. Gandalf, is in, yeah, where Gandalf is being trapped by Sauron's minions and whatever and all this stuff, or, or was it in The Hobbit? Maybe I'm confusing it. Maybe it was in The Hobbit that they showed this portion. I think it was The Hobbit. Really? I thought, yeah, I, I, I could have sworn it was direction. two towers. Yeah. I don't remember. I'd have to, I've seen these movies a thousand times. You think I would, would know them all by heart, but that one scene, I'm pretty sure that that's in the Hobbit. They show that they don't show it in the Lord of the Rings because that's when Gandalf goes with Radagast to invest. Yeah, um, you're right. You're right. The, 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 the uh, Oh my God. There we go. Butchering the names of things again. Um, but the one like castle, right. The, the, the stronghold of the orcs and stuff like that. He goes there to investigate and Sauron basically traps him. And then Elrond shows up with Galadriel and, and Sauron because they're, they're part of that white council. And you see, no matter how strong Sauron is or Elrond is, Galadriel is the one who initially is able to force Sauron out. Right. Yes. So yes. That's right. That's right. That that's shows right. again, that, that relationship between the two of them, that again is being, you know, that they show the beginnings of that relationship in, in, the rings of power and how Galadriel could have very easily, you know, slipped. I, it's, that's a really awesome, like, I didn't really think about that before you had mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just, I, I thought it was so cool. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. I'm really looking forward to like, I love the kind of like, like half foot, right. The kind of like, you know, the, uh, the, you know, that development of the like Hobbit kind of, you know, oh, I know. Uh, you know, I just, I love the, I, I, I love, those people, right? I love their, the way and the kind of, uh, you know, th this kind of like traveling, uh, what do you call it? Like the, not what the word I'm looking they're, for. They're the, like a, they have they're a like migration mad. pattern, right? Yeah. You know, so they're kind of moving different sites for different kind of locations. And that becomes part of the story that we get to learn the land through. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's kind of got this druidic, um, you know, kind of yeah, inflection to the whole thing. It's, I love that. I love them. Did you look at maps? So when, when they were showing that, when they were showing the scenes with them, when they were moving through the, I was like actually looking at a map of, of the Shire and of like middle earth. And I'm like, Oh, where are they? Like, where, yep, <laughs> like, yep, yep. where are they going through? Have you seen the maps that are on the, uh, like on the main site? <laughs> mm-hmm. They have, I think, I'm pretty sure, like, there's I have two... the maps, the original Tolkien maps in my book, so that's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they have, because the maps are slightly, if I remember right, they're slightly different, just because of the things are marked out different, you know, 
because yeah. of just where the, the entry point. So they're kind of cool. The um, I know that the, the HBO site for for House of Dragons, uh, the House of Dragons has amazing interactive maps, which are just incredible. I didn't know that. Oh, oh dude, cool. go go to the site and uh, like seriously, it's just it's really really awesome. Um, I assume it's still up. I haven't looked recently, but I'm like, I remember seeing Probably. it. Like I got lost in like on my map questing. That's <laughs> so. very cool. So my biggest, my biggest thing though, is like, I think we're going to, with, with the emergence of Mordor and stuff like that. And now that we know who Sauron is, right. Because that was the whole thing throughout the entire series was like, who's going to be Sauron and yep. all of the speculation. I, even though I called it, I called it. it you did. You did. I want to make sure that before we left today that I said, okay, you got it. You got it. <laughs> He was too convenient. I kept saying he was too I thought it was going to be the kid. I really thought it was going to be the kid. That's what I thought. Nope. Yeah. I Well, and the Theo, I'm still not sure of his place in this. I, I still feel like he could go either way. I don't know. I think he's, since he used that sword, right? Like he's, 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 I don't know. I could go either way. I'm not sure yet. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I kept on thinking like, you know, I, I, part, this would not work, right? This just makes no sense. But I thought, I kept on thinking like a character, remember like in, uh, remember Wormtongue? Yeah. Right? So I kept on thinking of a character like that. Uh, I mean, he's not, I'm not saying there's going to be like that, but I think like a character that had some sort of like allegiance or some sort of connection that became corrupted that was this kind of influence. Mm. I, and I don't know if that's going to be the case, but I, I just, I just was trying to play out, well, what different scenarios, what happens, what happens with him, but <laughs> don't know for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. And I, and I, I, I just, I wasn't like, I, I kept going back and forth because I was just like, you know, he's maybe, I don't know, but he's just was too convenient. And then when he gets, oh, and it's Numenor, by the way, when oh, he okay, gets, okay. when, when Numenor, Halbrand, of course. yeah, when Halbrand, AKA um, Sauron gets to Numenor, it, it cemented it, right? Because now he's talking about forges and metalworking and I'm like, oh, totally. come on. I was like, this is it. Like, this has yep. got to be him. This has got to be it. And I did, I just, I really did love, though, the fact that I think he, he was trying to entice Galadriel to his side. So, yeah, I thought. She's walking that fine line right now. I think we might see more of that, too. Yeah, his season. character, I ended up loving. I mean, I, I loved his character. And I, and I, I, I did not, like, I thought, I thought we were going to see. Like, cause you know how, you know how like we see like humans become the problem, right? And humans are the problem, <laughs> right? In Middle Earth. And um, I mean, not entirely, I don't want to kind of overwrite it, but I mean, that's where you see a lot of the kind of like those who are kind of quest, like the quest for power, right? Is yeah. kind of runs through like human civilization is really where that's kind of rooted. Like, if yeah. you know, you see in, in like the elves are very much about order, right? Um, to a fault, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, so they all got kind of got these these threads running through it. But the, the competition among kind of, say, human clans and all this stuff is really was play itself. So I thought, you know, that his character was going to be significant down the road in undermining kind of, you know, or pitting like like human kind of kingdom against human kingdom yeah. of the ride. So I didn't think he was going to be. But then I was like, oh. Okay, <laughs> this really worked. I mean, like that was not what I was expecting, but like, like you said, when he gets a Numenor and starts getting in and like getting really obsessed with kind of these forging materials. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait well, that's a minute. right. And then like they kept saying like there was this there you know the people back in Middle Earth or you know we're seeing you know of the Southlands. You know what I mean? We're basically stating that you know their savior is going to come at some point. You know, and then magically Halbrand's. I'm like. 
he shows up and I'm like, nothing's that easy in Middle Earth. Nothing is yeah. ever that easy in Middle Earth, you know, and it never is. And for him to magically show up like that, the king that they were, were I'm like, come on now. Like, there's got to be a catch. Like, there's just got to be a plot twist. This is too happy. Like, <laughs> it's too positive. Like, and, uh, you know, just by knowing, by reading some of Tolkien, I'm like, that's not his vibe. Like, you yeah. get these amazing moments, but it's so much based in struggle. All of it. All of his stories are based in struggle, you know, and a lot of it is basically, you know, fighting against the dark forces of Sauron and Morgoth and, and all of these evil creatures, right? Like, so, you know, I don't know. I was really thought they had me there for a second. I thought that the Adar, his name, I thought he was Sauron for, for, for a little bit there. I really wasn't sure. So. Who's Adar? Who's Adar? Adar was the guy who was basically, um, who, who was enticing the kid. He no, well, no, no, no. That was the old guy. So Adar right. is the uh, one who was the leader of the orc, so the Orakai. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha, I'm gotcha, sorry, gotcha. not the Orakai, the Oryx. That's what yeah. he prefers to call him, the Orcs, right? Because and he's basically the manifestation you can see in a physical form of how you know uh, uh, Morgoth basically took elves and like corrupted them and made yep. them into like this this evil species but there's a power dynamic between him and Halbrand at the end of it right this like because you can see you know Halbrand is like I, I killed you already like how are you here you know so something has already happened between the two of them uh and I think you know with with Mordor coming into play now because Adar is really responsible for that for all of it yeah for everything that had happened he's the one but I'm still kind of curious into his part right like where like what what is he for now like i don't know is he going to become you know one of sauron's minions like i i'm not sure because there's still this 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 tension between the two of them because he or is he going to be a competitor that, i i don't know who he yeah, would that's be though that's the thing like who's who is this guy right. <laughs> because right. adar is another name for sauron or father, or whatever it is. Like he, they said in it, so Sauron is the deceiver. So he goes uh, by lots of different names throughout all the different ages that he lives through. And Adar, which means father, apparently, in in Sindarin, I think that's the way it is called, Sindarin, the language of, of that Tolkien created. Uh, I do believe that you know that's one of the names that he went by. So is he trying to? I don't know. Like I'm not sure of of where he falls into play. So. I am curious because, but you did, there's, there's already a power. So that's what I'm saying. Is he become like, I'm trying to think of, of somebody that he, I don't know, you know, and are we going to see the emergence of, of the witch King, you know, of, of, right. the, you know, the witch King of Agmar? Like, are we going to see any of this stuff? <laughs> like, I'm really curious. That's a great point. I can't wait. I can't, I, what I, apparently we're not going to, it's not going to be out for another couple of years. So <laughs> that's, what? oh, you didn't hear that? No. Oh yeah, they think it's going to be like we're probably not going to get it until 2024, right? Um, oh no! If I remember, I'm I'm pretty sure I was reading that. So, um, let's see. That's disappointing. Well, maybe not. We'll see. Maybe I. Maybe they've changed it. I did love to see Moria, though. I love to see that the way that they had that whole, like, setup, you know, because the only time that you see any physical representations of it in the Lord of the Rings and the movies, it's all destroyed. It's dark, you know. Right, it's right, all, right. And I love to see, like, what it was before all that. I think that's really cool. Like, that was, well, I think that's it's still one of my favorite portions of the whole series is, is the focus on the dwarves. So it wasn't all so much, it was very little focus on the hobbits, right? It was, or right. The people, it was all a lot about, like, the other 
tribes and 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 stuff like that so though i didn't like the haircuts i was a little disappointed with all the short hair i will tell you that <laughs> just didn't seem very elvish to me but then again that's my own you know putting my own personal <laughs> thoughts into thinking how they should look so yeah <laughs> didn't like the haircuts i was missing I legolas it. like where's legolas like, yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, crazy. Well, cool. I was just trying to poke around here a bit, uh, a little bit. So, um, I, you know, love to hear everybody's thoughts on what they thought about this stuff um, too as well. I've got other stream stuff coming out. I was looking at, uh, see if I could dig up anything on the Wheel of Time because that was... Uh, I haven't you know, heard anything. No, and I just, uh, there's the latest round of speculation. Last time I looked to try to figure it out was like right around Thanksgiving or so because there was some initial speculation. Then it was going to be, okay, probably ja January. Um, and then I just looked at something that said, um, uh, maybe release window. They're probably talking about the summer, and I'm just like, Aww. okay. So they're just people are just saying, are just guessing yeah. stuff. They don't really know. So mm -mm. there's not so not the things released. So I we'll have to wait on that. I would. That's I'm disappointed about. I was really, I thought they had Wheel of Time like in the can already. Um, they were already kind of uh filming season two ahead of, uh, when when season one was start kind of originally getting released. But I guess I guess not, because uh. I was, that was going to be one of the things I was looking forward to for our, uh, like over winter. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, I was like no, yeah, 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 yeah. So whatever. No. Nope. Nope. Well, I do hope they don't take too long to, to finish, you know, or at least to put out the second season of rings of power. So, you know, I really, like I said, I enjoyed it for what it was. It's totally not, you know, along the same lines as your typical canon for Tolkien and stuff. But like I said, that's, that's here nor there. And you can't, I, I just, you can't expect it to be exactly the same, right? Like you can't portray things the same way. Right, right. <laughs> so I think they did a really good job of it, you know? And, and like I said, I, Galadriel's an amazing person, but like, I'm telling you, Doran, I love him. Oh, I love him. He's so, <laughs> he's this angry little guy. And like, I'm like, he's my spirit. Like that's, that's me. Like that's, that's this angry little person sometimes, you know, gruff. And I, I just love it. I love like that. <clears throat> Like he's like you know frustrated yeah. and like okay I know. <laughs> you know <laughs> but they've always been they've always been my favorite like Gimli was always my favorite character like yeah. out of all of them I loved him the best right so yeah well my first several D and D characters were dwarves right so yeah, uh, that's so I, cool. I was I was like for the longest time it was nothing but uh, dwarf fighters or dwarf uh, fighter clerics that was so that's what I played <laughs> yeah I mean I love the elves don't get me wrong I do but like just I've never liked the elves <laughs> they're so stuck up they, they totally. can be very Stuck up, so. I've never liked the elves, um, but whatever. I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm, I don't want to. I don't want to hate on the elves, but uh, but they were, uh, you know, whatever. So I just, I never the holier the, than thou attitude. Yeah, That's just, how they were I, written. I've never been. I, I've never been kind of fond of aristocrats. Okay, and that's like that's really. I mean, I've never you know. You know, that's just never been my, my thing. So every, I mean, as long as I remember, it's like, you know, when I, when I hear like, okay, yeah, uh, you know, the king and the queen, I'm like, I could care less. You know, it's like, it's like, um, you know, even, you know, it's funny. Cause as I'm, as I'm kind of like slowly developing my own kind of like little world for a D and D campaign in the mm -hmm. future. Right. So I'm running this one that's right now, but I'm developing this own world and thinking a lot about those questions about, uh, you know, uh, to what degree, like, how does rule work, right? Um, 
what's the role of kind of say aristocracy in this world, right? Because I, yeah. I have this, the, my thing is called, um, my world's called Ascalon. It's called, uh, there's like this kingdom of Thal and like the free cities of the North, right? So there's this big rift in the center of this, this, this continent. Very cool. Um, yeah. And so, and they used to be all one, but there's this complicated, whatever cosmic thing that goes on. But there's um so there, there's the the kingdom gets kind of like separated out from these all the free cities and the free cities mm-hmm. start to develop along their own well and then this kind of this kingdom is this kind of weird kind of uh you know this weird kind of leftover from a previous age when you know it doesn't exist and it's not even a kingdom anymore the queen's rule so it's like you know and they they, they laugh at the fact that they call it a kingdom because they think it's the biggest inside joke right so it's this, this thing that kind of drives the secession and stuff so yeah like, but you know just kind of thinking about that because it's like you know they, they, and i i always i was thinking about like elves in relationship to this because it's like i just like i don't have i have no interest in even like like the internal machinations of the court. I like watching it fine enough, like the machinations of the inside of the court, but it's just not my, my bag. Like I much more prefer, like, like you were talking about this kind of sense of struggle, right? You're seeing this kind of real sense of struggle, good and evil is your kind of, uh, is your mode rather than kind of, you know, position. Well, and that's <laughs> right? what it is. Cause I've always felt, and I do love the elves. Like, I mean, I love, I, you know, my one Halloween costume is elf costume. Like, I love it. You know, like I do. And their archery skills are like the freaking the, the shit, right? They're so they're well, so wood good. elves. I'm all with the wood yeah. elves, right? The wood love elves the wood rock, elves. right? Right. I've always loved them and stuff like that. And probably because they're a little bit more rough around the edges. Yes, exactly. But like at the same point, you know, they, they were, I think, you know, they were written to be the aristocracy. But in the Lord of the Rings, they are apathetic as hell. Like they are totally apathetic. They're just basically like, we're giving up. We're leaving. We're done. Goodbye. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yep. And I'm like, you're part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. But, so. No yeah. well. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, we finally got here. We finally got here. And you can all thank Amy for this because uh, it was her suggestion. She had some time today. So we're like, let's do this. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, it was that this is kind of was probably the 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 best thing I could have like done with my day <laughs> it makes me happy talking about this stuff so i love talking awesome. about this stuff like science fiction and, and the lord of the rings like i am such a total lord of the rings like nerd it is ridiculous so i've watched i watch the movies like all the time like, it's so bad i know them all by heart like <laughs> so. i just it's funny when i was when i was preparing for like over break uh like uh, over my break like at the end when i was doing grading and things like this uh i just rewatched the uh the hobbit again um, for because I, I had you know what as funny as I realized that as like I don't think I ever watched the last of the Hobbit movies. It's not that good. I no. that's my least favorite is the Death. Star. I hate that one. I hate that portion because when you read the Hobbit, there's none of the the movie expands it dramatically. And yeah. while that's not the portion of it that I dislike about it, I never really enjoyed the Battle of the Five Armies in, to begin with. Even in The Hobbit, I kind of felt like it was a rushed ending to everything yeah. that was going on. Um, and then the the movie, I just didn't like it. My favorite's The Desolation of Smog. Like, that's yes. my favorite, is that yeah. one. Yeah, that's a cool one. And I think and I, I when I was watching it, I realized that that was the reason. Why, I mean, just what you just said, it was one of the reasons why I just didn't never got through it. Because I start, I remember, like, the first maybe 20 minutes of it. I remember, I was, oh yeah, so maybe I did watch this. Then after I'm like, oh no, I never got past this point. Yeah. <laughs> I just, it lost my interest. But, but you know, I was glad I kind of, I finished it so I could finally say like, I, you know, I read the book. And so it like, uh, so I got to the point where, 
He'll come back, so we'll see. There, there's a lot of liberties that were taken, yeah. Because in the book, basically, like, Bilbo gets knocked out, and he wakes up, and the battle's over, and all these people are dead, and that's the end of it. And you're yep, like, what? Yep, like, yep, yep, <laughs> I guess yep. as a kid, it makes sense, right? Because it's a children's story, and it totally makes sense. My son has read The Hobbit to himself a thousand times. He loves it. And he's never questioned that point. Like, okay, they have this battle. It's over. You know, but as an adult, I think looking at it, you're like, wait a minute. Like, what happened? Yeah. But I wasn't really thrilled with the way that they did that in the yeah. movie. So, yeah. yeah. Well, there you have it. All right. Well, Amy, thanks so much for taking out some time um, to kind of delve into this. It's been great. Um, and uh, we'll be back on the on the school board ticket. We're going to be taking a look out for when the release times are for Wheel of Time when that comes back. Oh, I know what I, I forgot to ask. Have you been – I'm just curious. Have you watched any of um, – uh, no, how can I forget the name of the damn series now? What's it called? Not, not the All of Us. What is it? The the the, the one that's just oh my god! It's the it's the the Last the, of Us. Last of Us. Yeah. Oh yes, of course. I've I've been keeping up on it. I never played the video game. I'm going to put that out here right now. Um, it's not Neither a video game I've played. Um, my you know my my children love the video game, right? To the point of my one almost obsessive. It's <laughs> it's funny. She was so excited when the series was coming out, but I have watched it. I am caught up on it. Um, I do rather like it. That last episode they put out was a tearjerker. I haven't watched uh, it yet, so it, don't tell me anything. Yeah, about I'm not going to say anything, but yeah. it was really good. I do like the way they're setting it up so far. I love the kid that plays in it, um, and I love the uh, Pedro Pascal. I think he's doing a really great job. So yeah, yeah. But it's it's creepy. I'm not normally a fan of zombies. I don't like zombies. They're like my, I just they freak me out. Yeah, yeah. But this one is even more so. Like it's just so weird. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So I'm 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 interested to see where that to, to see where it goes. So it's uh um I, I've been I've been liking it a lot. So I've been uh, I'm doing that. The other the other thing I finished too was, was the um um oh my god I'm horrible. did you you watch the Wednesday series right I haven't watched that yet. So I've been waiting. Oh, to, you still haven't watched? No, that no, I still haven't. And it's not because I don't want to. It's because it's just my the worst thing is my daughter started watching it, but she started watching without me, like with her friends. I'm like, oh wait a minute, I thought we we're gonna watch this, you know, like. So now I've got to find some time where I can just kind of like plug out a bunch of episodes. But I'm dying to watch that. No, I watched the uh, the peripheral. Um, I haven't gotten into that one. Yeah, that one. That one's. I mean, there's parts of it I really love, um, and there's other parts that I'm just like, oh, it's okay. But I love I love the filming of it. Um, really like you know because it takes place in two time time frames. Um, mm -hmm. And I like the one the the. The one that takes place in like kind of like West Virginia is like where the or kind of like that the, the the quote unquote now, which is still the future, but it's like the now, yeah. is that part that I found really fascinating. Um, some of the future stuff is we'll, we'll see where it goes, um, but The Last of Us, I'm curious where what happens with that too. So. Yeah, so far so good. I know yep. it's gotten a lot of really great reviews. I really enjoy it so far. So you know, yeah, for a cool. zombie movie, it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all right. Cool. I hate zombies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not. They're not fun. They're not. They're not. These ones. Yeah. Well, whatever. We'll, we'll talk about that when the series is over, because it's like. Uh, yeah. Right. Because it's like. Uh, yeah, because this one's you know gets like a little too close to kind of like like plausibility for my <laughs> like you know that's the thing. I, I, I yes, I would have to agree with it. I thought they were getting pretty close there with that with the one what did they do with the rabies. The one where, like, you know, the rabies have mutated. That scared the living shit out of me yeah, when they, yeah. when those movies that twenty eight days later and the twenty eight weeks. Twenty eight like, days I was, was like, holy hell! I don't yeah. like this. Like, this is mm -mm. yeah, yeah, creepy. But mm -hmm. this is a whole other level of just right. odd. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, there we have it, folks. We have uh, thank you for joining us for this kind of extra special Friday politics roundup where we got to do more than politics. We got to do some cool stuff, do some uh, talking about some uh, great series uh, from uh, the Rings of Power and uh, the House of the Dragon. So uh, we'll be back in the kind of week coming up. I want to remind you that you can uh, help support the show by heading on over to patreon.com slash RC Press. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Uh, we're going to be tracking what happens in the school board races. We're going to be back. Um, on this Monday for Out to Coop Live, uh, I will be joined by da -da -da, Hannah Leffingwell, and we're going to talk about her piece in the Chronicle of Higher Education called The Academic Career is Broken and the Need for Fundamental Change in Higher Ed. Um, so do join us on Monday night for that. Um, and then in two weeks from our, you know, a week from this coming Monday, we'll have Alyssa Bowen back on the show too, but I'll plug that more as we get close. So thanks again, Amy, for uh, kind of hanging out today and uh, enjoy the awesome weekend ahead of us. A little bit cold, but enjoy it. Always. My pleasure. All right. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Yes, we are getting ready for the weekend. Uh, ready for those wind chills below zero. Are you ready? I am. I'm out of here, everybody. See ya! Let me try my people call.